0: Oh, you're gonna get a nice shot of my caboose.
1: And we're live. Nice. All right, welcome everyone.
0: Uh the intro already played.
1: Did it? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't see the little countdown thing.
0: We're so good. We're so good at this. We're killing
1: it. Definitely not a symptom of being rubbed on average (laughs) 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 and having other shit to worry about. Uh, Sorry. Oh, yeah. We're fine, Jeremy.
0: I just checked we're totally live okay then i'll, uh, I'll go ahead and kick it off hey uh welcome everyone uh to X and one x1 is a show dedicated to uh lists and experiences for the rest of us uh one of you guys is actually in, by the way uh so those of us who won't be winning gts consistently but either might fuck around with the fun list or you know are totally cool with going four and one but you might find yourself in the finals and know what to do when you get there if you're trying to balance work, family life, and myriad other obligations of old personal life with your competitive passion for 40k, this is the show for you. Uh Cliff, why don't you uh hit us up with the uh call to action and the Patreon stuff?
1: Hey, so if you're watching this, you're probably already part of the Discord and already familiar with the work that StatCheck does. We've got our flagship show on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, StatCheck featuring Ennis Wilson, of uh, Gene Silver Cult and Tyranit Fame, uh Anthony Vanella. Nathan Hanning and Jeremy Atkinson, the whole crew, typically, uh, giving you a stat-based rundown on the previous weekend's events and, you know, talking random nonsense. Got to keep it clean for the first segment of YouTube videos. Uh, talking random nonsense about the meta, what to expect, different lists, what they're working on, uh, usually in tandem with the guest who is lucky enough to be a part of their conversation. Uh, you can catch us... On this channel, youtube.com slash stat check. You can also catch us on Patreon, Google stat check on there, search for stat check on there. You'll find us by joining us on Patreon. You'll gain access to a Discord, which has like a little bit over 200 members now, uh, featuring some of the most sophisticated and fancy people uh, and high-performing people in 40K. Not sure how that happened when people like me are allowed to be in there, but here we are. Um, and also tournament organizers and... Uh, national team vets like Nick and like Tim. Um, Yeah, hit us on Discord and Patreon, hit us on YouTube, catch us on your favorite podcasting app. uh, or stat check. You'll get another one of those in like an hour. Uh,
0: cool. So uh, let's go ahead and just run down, if you're joining us for the first time, the intros. Uh, my name is Tim Penny. I'm one of the uh, co-hosts, obviously. Uh, former captain of Brohammer, uh, co-founder of the Miami Dice team. Uh, now I'm active on uh, Team USA. Uh, we haven't figured out starters yet, so fingers crossed. Uh, but one way or another, I'll be uh, I'll be there in Belgium to support in August. Uh, now a uh, co-member of the StatCheck crew. And your local uh, Unga Bunga advocate, uh, Cliff. Why don't you run down your uh, your intro? <laughs> hey,
1: I'm Cliff Thomas. Uh, I'm the nerd behind the scenes working on the 40K data dashboard. Um, that's basically it. I'm known for meme lists, and they're trying to do as well as I possibly can with said meme lists. Uh, as Grant is pointing out, I love the Castellan. I took it to LVO. Um, that was a silly idea, but. Was super fun. And now I'm working on Death Watch, which is a similarly dumb for competitive reasons thing that I'm doing. But again, here we are. I'm going to make it work.
0: Cool. And then uh, our guest of honor tonight is uh, Nick, All's Dust Nick. Uh, he is a uh, very active member on the Stat Check Discord. He's also a uh, obviously a passionate gamer, dad, and a uh, TO. Uh, we thought he'd be a great fit to uh, bring onto the show because we haven't really explored the uh, TO side of things, which uh, a lot of our a lot of our patrons and uh, peers uh, like to go that route. Uh, so, Nick, why don't you talk to us a little bit about yourself?
2: Oh, hey, well, thanks for having me on again. Um, this is uh, it's quite flattering to be on this cast, so thank you very much. Yeah, I'm Nick Blackburn. Um, I live in in Ontario, so that's about like two hours west of Ottawa. Um, for people not from Canada, I mean, most Canadians don't know where Petawawa is, anyways. And uh, I guess, like the intro said, I'm the forty k gray man. I don't have the kind of credentials you guys do. Uh, I mean, locally, I think I did reasonably well in some some GTS and whatever else to get to that X and one status. Uh, I guess the big kind of talk recently around where I am is the event that I uh, that I started up with some with some friends called All Dust. That's going to be happening in just about two weeks uh now and uh yeah really that's it avid Thousand Suns player yeah sometimes I guess when I'm bored of work I spend too much time in the discord and harass everybody and uh yeah that's basically uh that's basically me
0: cool um well this part of the show we usually kind of catch up because obviously we're busy we do the show every other week uh Cliff what have you been up to since uh episode
1: Yeah, so I've been working on mm, my internet's being a little goofy. So let me know if you can even hear me. Um, we, can, we can hear you fine. Great. So five five. <clears throat> two big things over the last couple of weeks. I'm trying to make more improvements to the dashboard uh, to make more manageable and like accessible to people because I can get stuck in like data visualization nerd space. Um, So it's really good to have people in the Discord who are actively giving feedback and saying like, hey, it'd be great if it could do X or like this view looks a little weird, can you fix it? So one of the other perks of joining the Discord is that uh, you really do get like live opportunities to engage with the work that we're trying to put together. Uh, And we're like super appreciative of of critical feedback because it helps us make stuff better and that in turn makes us able to better deliver goods out to the world. So we're gonna have feedback. Uh, for the dashboard, it now displays like win rates for all the factions, win rates for all the sub factions, populations for all of those people across the board. Um, overrep across any given period of time, and overreps our stat that um, compares the population for a faction in the top four group of players compared to its population in the overall playing meta. So if you've got a lot more people in top fours from a given faction, then you have uh, in the overall pop, you're going to have really high overrep, and that's a signal that your faction is probably a little overtuned, uh, and vice versa if you're underrepresented. Um, so that's been cool. And then I've just been trying to figure out, one, what a competitive Death Watch list would look like. Like, this is one instance where I actually am not memeing, and I'm just trying to find what I think would be most effective, um, and it's really hard. It's what I'm finding. I've gone through like, I don't know, 10, 12 different iterations of lists. Uh, It's actually sort of a, it's an interesting experience for me because I'm not used to not memeing. Uh, So like diving into the death watch and space ring codexes and trying to figure out like, okay, what is actually doable in here Um, with a, you know, 39% win rate faction Um, has been, has been an interesting exercise so it's cool one upside is that in today's uh in games workshops watch video today they indicated that deathwatch one is at the bottom of their uh their list of performance for all factions of the game which is cool so i would expect them to get some love post adepticon so maybe maybe i'll be that guy that's building a terrible faction list only to find out that i am now playing a list that's overpowered i can ride that pony all the way out to the summer yeah that's me that's last two weeks oh and like random thing that happened to me today uh amazon delivery comes by the house drops it off billy is like known for people that roll up on your porch and just steal your packages uh and then like either run away or hop on their bike so my wife is home today uh amazon comes drop some stuff off she gets up to go get it finds a guy who's on a bike speeding off with it calls me down i'm in the middle of a meeting and I'm like one moment, please, <laughs> on Zoom, and run this guy down <laughs> over the course of three blocks. Catch him, get my stuff, uh, threaten him not to come back around these parts again, <laughs> and then uh, come back to the house huffing and puffing. So that was a that was a mad man. Day. Was it like
2: gold that you were getting shipped? Like you would put yourself so, at risk like that? This or the, what? I know. I was.
1: Ta- <laughs> I know it's crazy. I was talking to Monique. Monique's my my wife's name. I was talking to her about this after. I was like, man, like maybe I need to talk to somebody because like run a guy on a bike down for like I don't even know what was in the Amazon package, like I don't know, fifteen dollars worth of item is not necessarily <laughs> the healthiest reaction, uh healthiest reaction to something. Like That's your
2: twelve it. gel pens you ordered, you were you yeah, like stabbed on, over man. that. I could just just could have re upped and
1: and kept it going, but whatever i'm a little bit of a psycho it is what it is
0: i mean you could try one of those amazon lockers or something like that seems like uh what i would do
1: yeah <laughs> kelsey unreal <laughs>
0: uh all right uh cliff is uh going to take a break to uh and come back to us he's going to fix his uh internet yeah, this manner, I'm I'm fix his, right his video um for me I uh, actually went to a GT, and then I played my first round of the Vibe Check League, uh, so that was pretty good. Uh, for the GT, it was the Hey Wanna Play um, Salty Classic. Um, it's named such from a, a long, standing inside joke um, that is just not even going to bother explaining, because it's like, it only makes sense to three people, and if I explain it, now the joke's not funny anymore. Um, but basically, I took World Eaters, I took the cookie cutter kind of list, or I guess I would call it the cookie cutter list. Uh, it was uh, Invocatus, Warlord. I took a uh, second Juggernaut Lord who Anthony and I have been going back and forth on and testing. And then we started adding him. We really liked it. Uh, he takes the Relic uh, weapon for Tesla 6s and, most importantly, Strength 9. Uh, so every 6 to hit is 3 hits. And then if you get the Blood Tide for Exploding 6, every 6 to hit is 4 hits. He also gives you a second source of... Um, The plus two movement aura, which is great for an army that relies a lot on movement uh, because it's purely a combat uh, and usually has to close distance uh, safely and make, you know, and getting two inches closer before you start to clear your charges is huge. Um, And then also having a second uh, combat unit in the list that uh, can be screened, can can be character screened is also super important, uh, especially because as you're closing uh, with your opponent, you don't have shooting in this list. You don't really have a way to reduce their firepower before you close the distance. Um, So just ways to not get shot, transports, carriers, stuff like that are all things I rate very highly for that type of list. Uh, I had two units of five eight-bound, which are kind of like your workhorse uh, units of the list. They receive buffs really well. Hey, welcome back, Cliff. Uh, A unit of three eight-bound, and then three units of three exalted uh, by Cliff. Four units of uh, five Berserkers uh, with the Eviscerator, the Icon. I put the Icon on the Eviscerator because that's the last guy that's going to get pulled. Um, a unit of Jackals who I don't I don't really like them, um, but the way the points work out of that list, it was either put in the Jackals and then put in an extra random eight bounce somewhere or just play a 1965 point list. So, hey, someone's got to hold the backfield. Um, that list was good. Oh, and two Rhinos and three spawn. Uh, that loss was good. I think going in the future, I think I'm gonna go back to the previous iteration where I run five units of Zerkers. Uh The backfield unit doesn't have an icon. Um, it's a little bit stronger versus planes. I played in the planes twice, and they uh, it got a little touch and go uh, with primary uh, once the planes come on the field. I also played against mortars once. Uh, so the two. The three games where I played against either planes or Harpies, I really did enjoy the Jackals because I had to basically put them in a Rhino and leave a Rhino back there as well, uh, just so I wouldn't randomly uh, get knocked down four points on primary. Um, I would like them better if they were just cultists, but you're paying 20, 25 points more uh, for, like, four strength, three attacks per dude that, like, you don't really need. Um, So now they're Zerkers, and it's going to be three units of four Um, uh, eight bound, and that's and then everybody else is pretty much gonna be the same, so I think that's where we'll be in the future. Uh, quick rundown of the rounds round one, I played against uh, Gene Circle, I think it was on conversion. Um, I had a pretty open, we were playing a GW format, but there's a pretty big like wall missing on one side of my ruin, which I didn't, I didn't love. Um, so I just kind of just tried to put everything in there. He went first, he's like, Oh, hey, by the way, I excavated your minus two to hit I'm like or minus two to move I'm like great whatever he goes first uh he pushes up super aggressively with the bikes he shoots to a rhino that I had like in front of the building set up where basically if it disembarked depending if it got blown up depending on what he had left to shoot it could either berserkers could jump forward or they could jump back out of line of sight uh just being able to move models in your opponent's shooting phase I think is very strong um so i had it kind of set up there just because i didn't want to be completely hidden i wanted him to come closer to me to try to shoot stuff uh he shot the riot with a bunch of industrial weapons so i just kind of sat there and just took it um and then he didn't kill it and so he started shooting like bullshit weapons at it and at that point i, I popped minus one to hit, to hit with smoke uh and it lived on one wound and he basically he was banking on these uh berserkers to pop out and shoot them and then he couldn't so he just had a bunch of units just didn't get to activate and his entire army was like 12 inches away from my entire like world leaders army oh
2: that's a big deal <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so
0: so i was kind of like okay it's time. Uh, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> like I, yeah. I just i basically just pushed the gas down super hard at that point um and uh also this first is the first round of the vets so i'm usually pretty chill i'm not playing any teammates so i was kind of like look man i was like i was like we got the master clock right there i was like i'm, I'm always down to play with the clock but I, I know some people don't want to i was like here's here's how it's going to be like if you don't want to play with the clock uh if we have a game left after an hour we'll just split the time 30 30. uh that is i don't know what, what happening because he was uh there was a lot of like a little like analysis paralysis or explaining mm-hmm. things over and over and over again um that mm-hmm. i had told him i understood uh, which i think is like maybe he was just nervous or something like that uh because then we got to an hour and I said, Hey man, you know, I it was my turn too. We got to an hour and I'm like, hey man, I'm just gonna put us on a clock, we'll just split it 30-30 from, from here on out. Yep. Uh and he kinda he kinda fell apart and I kinda <laughs> went to like the two minute I kinda went to the two minute drill, you know, like and yep. then he kind of like fell yep. apart. And it was at that point, but it was, uh the big issue was um against world eaters, uh they really need to Um, be hitting multiple units to kind of make up for the fact that they're not not doing damage in multi-phase. That way to keep the attrition equal. And in the G-Circle army, I mean, you don't really want to be getting hit anyhow, but the best way to stop that is take those big bike units and make kind of like a wall like this. And it just absorbs that initial impact. And that's it. Everything else is behind it. He didn't do that. And he had he had a bunch of like weird breakdowns of the bikes, like hitting like a four, then like even a six. And it was just like it was it was really random. Um, but he had them like balled up and kind of like next to each other, like this.
2: Uh so you were able to get your three uh, four to one basically. Yeah, well, well, not even
0: that. Um <clears throat> I I went for like the the high the high probability charges. The exalted went in, like two units of Zerkers went in, and a unit of eight bound went in. Um and I I didn't even, like, really kill that much. I think I killed, like, a unit of – I think I killed a unit of Acolytes. I think I um, killed a a bike unit, and I think I wounded, like, a unit of Neophytes. But I was able to, like, tag, like, four different units with four of my units. And so he had to roll – four, or I had to roll because the World years players player is one that rolls it. The no fallback aura on a four-up at six inches off the Exalted. And I had, like, four or five units tagged with that. And so we had to roll like like four or five four-ups in a row. And if any of them failed, half my army was unshootable. And so we got like two units in, and like (laughs) he couldn't fall back. And we're kind of like he's kind of like, okay, I think the game might be over. Yeah, "Yeah, (laughs) I I was at that point, like he's stuck in his deployment zone. I'm unshootable. He can't fall back. He's just like stuck there with me. I have my backfield like completely screened out. Um, with like spawn and all sorts and like empty rhinos and all sorts of other bullshit. He had like one ridge runner that was like peeking into my uh my ruin and like I ran a berserker unit from the rhino that lived, like went over there took care of that because I didn't really want that poking on my backfield. And at that point, I was just I was literally in all four corners of the board, so that game ended. Uh, game two, I played against um. I played against uh, Curtis Hodeling, one of the best guard players you've never heard of. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, this guy, he doesn't travel uh, because he's very much like he's like he just loves to play guard. And when guard's not good, he goes and plays golf. Uh, And when (laughs) guard is good, he comes back and plays it. But he was making the 8th edition book work for a long time. He's got a very healthy, like, approach to the game. And he always gives me, like, good games, even when the guard book was bad. And he's just been, like, a monster with this book. Uh, So I played against him, and we played – I think it was recover the relics um which is kind of like a staring contest kind of one and like this is where i was learning a lot about the list where like i think a lot of times i need to take banners and i haven't been i've been taking like the the book secondaries um and so he's very much he asked me a lot of questions about the about the pre-game movement about that because he hadn't i think he played it like one game before uh, with me, but he was just double checking, asked about the threat range, pregame move, like what could happen with this, what could happen with that and everything like that. We spent a solid 10 minutes like just talking about all the theoreticals for, for the game start, which is always the hallmark for like, a great player. And he respected it. He literally pl- deployed his entire army 34 inches from my army and whatever couldn't fit on the table went in reserves. Love it. He didn't give me like an inch, nothing. He was like, there's, he's like, I want to be mathematically impossible that nothing, not even a single guardsman gets charged turn one. I was like, <laughs> cool, you know, which is fine. Cause that's like the, one of my opinions with well, the best part about the pregame move is just the respect. You don't have gun lines just deploying on the line and being like, well, you can't charge me. So I'm just going to deploy in the open online. Um, I didn't even go, I didn't even go first. So I just kind of like, uh hard shifted uh all my units into like one of the ruins and then we uh we kind of we kind of measured out like his pre-game moves or his redeployments where he can go and everything like that and then um we kind of like realized like like hey man if we just kind of sit there and look at each other like the guard player wins by 15 points you know so he moved up he didn't he didn't really shoot anything he just threw up some banners stuff like that and i was kind of like sitting there i was looking at it i was like I sat there for like five minutes, just looking at the board, just thinking about it, and I was kind of like, "All right, here's what we're gonna do." I put all my eight down into one run, and I put, I pushed everything else. I just ran it up the like one side of the board on a flank. Yes, as everything's coming at you, like the entire the entire army, um, and the idea was that 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 one flank was the side where like he didn't have as many tanks on so to kill all this stuff his tanks were going to have to come out this is gw train remember they're going to have to come out and get angles and tr- and if you're in just inside 20 inches that's like the magical number with world eaters where like either you're moving 11 or you're disembarking and moving eight the 3d6 charge plus one charge cp reroll everything. that's about the magic number of like where you can kind of like making charges with regularity so the theory was that um I was going to push everything out. I was going to lose like 80% of it, but the 20%, I would just come up with the game plan on the spot. And then he was also going to come out into threat range of the um, eight bound, which were in the ruin. Because you remember, GW terrain, there's like two ruins that they're kind of like this. This is the one the eight bound were in. So they're a little bit closer. So the idea is he was going to come in, get those angles, and now he's going to be threat range. And all my eight bound are going to slam it to the side of Re- Levin Russ's. And that's basically what happened. And I was playing with scraps that game. Um, but I was able to hold, get a 12 for two turns in a row, hold him to a four for two turns in a row, um, put up some big numbers on the secondary scoring. And then uh, after that, once once I was functionally tabled, he had to do a mad sprint to get on my side of the board. But I had this small unit of three eight three eight bound some spawns some rhinos like a character just like random crap that it you know, was like kind of hard to remove the borders and the closest rune to him I was protecting with a heroic intervention from behind a wall so he really had like no way to affect it and he tried to push over there with a sentinel I in I intervened on it sorry no it was he he got out of heroic intervention range he's tried to send over a sentinel I ran over charged it and then used consolidate to get back into the ruin uh, one guy couldn't swing because I needed him to consolidate back to a spot where he could recover uh, that objective with the Hurricane intervention. And I ended up winning that game by seven points. Um, round three uh, was Bark. Uh, Who did I play round three? Mm, I don't actually remember. I'll have to look that up. Who was actually
1: really playing. That's the important thing. <laughs> I don't even. Remember, I don't even
0: remember, man. Hold on, I got BCP <laughs> right here. I, I no, this week has been a blur. Let's go past events. As soon as I look at it, I'll remember.
1: The world Eater stuff is so funny to me because there's a, you can go out and make these sacrifices so long as you're sitting on the appropriate objective. Oh, yeah,
0: uh, right. I played another. I played another teammate, Louis Akala. He was running uh, just literally max, um, death dreads and killicans and. <laughs> That was actually a little bit of a slog because he had um, my regular eight bound just did, like, really nothing because he was strength seven damage, too. Um, but he was just feeding me so many units and so many vehicles that near the end, I actually had max buffs for the last two rounds of the game. Um, and he had he ended up having more stuff. I ended up pretty much, like, getting tabled that game, but I won that one pretty hard, like 90 to 50 or something like that. Um, that was a really fun game. But when those two Dakajets came on... Uh, Life got like really awkward for me. It was just like, it was literally just, it was literally just like, like rhinos and berserkers and like cultists just like doing like shuffles and hopping around my backfield. And it was just so awkward. And the entire time I was like, God damn it, why the fuck did I take these jackals? They're 20, they're 20 points more than cultists. And I hate this. And this sucks. And it was, it was terrible. I hated it so bad. Um, but yeah uh i've been talking about orcs uh, i play orcs too and i'm talking about how like i think a single dacajet is really good to have in a list he ran two i didn't like the second one but the first one like really made my life hard round four i love, I what, I love when
2: you make a list decision that you really don't and it's like a little thing but then it just bugs you the whole event yeah.
0: oh my god these <laughs> jackals were just bugging me <laughs> the entire, i hated them i hated them so bad uh they were just a total boat anchor um and there the worst part was there were a chink in the armor that people were actually trying to actively exploit in my list every single game, and I hated that. Um round four, I played the eventual uh winner of the event, uh Mark Parker. He was running uh Dids, and there's they put so much less stuff on the table than he did before, but I really like his list. We've been working together on it, and he's basically has a Leviathan list for the uh floating hit or wound reroll. Uh lots of heavy venom cans. He's running two Walkers. So two T eight guys that are character screened by a bunch of tyrant guard, and they both have the relic guns. Uh, and then one of them, and then one of them is Obsec, and he has the harpies who start in reserve. So like nothing's really getting shot. Turn one, um, Barb Stranglers and or cannons on the harpies. Uh, sh- whatever the one that has a bunch of damage two shots.
2: Stranglers, okay.
0: Yeah, that was it. Stranglers. Stranglers. Um, yep, yeah. yeah. uh, I liked them a lot. The um, and then he had one of each type of troop unit, uh, and then he had like four Carnifexes and a unit of zoe's, and that was like that was it. Um, yeah, those, Dude, those oh they, they, they still slam. uh that's a very easy list to put together on the table, too. Um this was a lot of people were kind of like uh this actually got brought up a lot because tyranids uh there's a lot of videos and everything online because tyranids won a gt um and a lot of people were like oh blah 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 the warriors player got screwed this mission i'm like Nah, not really because um we knew i knew this mission was in the packet and i didn't feel like the existence of this mission um negated the strength on the other four missions of having the pregame move and the thing is I can still move in my own deployment zone Mm -hmm. Um, so on this mission advanced sanctuaries it's like the one with the cross Um, all the objectives are roughly in the open no matter like what terrain set you play on which is a little bit awkward if you try to take rod you're not saying objectives Uh, banners is like it's really hard to score more than five on banners of this one even even retrieve data it's hard to score more than like a four or an eight on it it's really, really, really rough if you don't have good standard secondaries. Um, so luckily, the corn, the warrior secondaries are pretty good. So my game plan from the start was to basically take over one of the ruins because remember it's GW terrain, and make a triangle, and basically just cover three of the five objectives like with like very, very, very high probability. I'm talking about like three inch charges, which is which is doable with how that terrain setup is. Um, at this point, the undefeated people uh in the we had two undefeated iron hands we had uh, undefeated gene circle and a guy who's been playing gene circle for a long time we had a guy playing uh swift strikes masterful shots uh craft world with uh six bike units and a bunch of bike characters and then we had mark so my options were to get potted because it can show up in your deployment zone get potted by the other guy because it could show up in your deployment zone but luckily the rest of the lists are kind of slow i'm like okay that's not great but i think i'll take those gene circle who kind of just you know they can they can get around the pregame by because they're wording it lets them show up like at the end of like the movement phase or something like that so they get around in no scout moves so that's that's advantage for the gene circle player the uh craft road player who would love nothing more than for me not to be able to show up on their doorstep. And then turn one, they show up on my doorstep anyhow. So that was like a bright red match up in that. Or the guy who can't go through walls and has a slow shooting army. I knew I'd have to go through Mark eventually. So I wanted to go through him on this mission. And I basically just executed what I said. I made like one or two small misplays, um, like very small and, and Mark's a great player. But unfortunately I think the thing that um, kind of broke in his favor is he went second. Mm, uh, and no, so he I mean, was able yeah. to score so many points. He was able to like basically make up like a 20 point uh, swing because he gave me a heroic intervention on turn two or three. I jumped out, killed a unit of his troops, uh, got blood gods due on two objectives in his turn, and then deleted a move block they'd set up, ran over with that unit of eight bound in my turn, who was on an objective and killed his obsec flyer or his obsec walker at warlord which then shut off all his imperatives and took that tool out of his pocket Ooh. and it just it just ended up being like a ton of points and then I moved blocked everything else that was in there between those two runes so that was a huge swing but he made a back turn on uh, um turn five wow so
2: um, sanctuaries is just basically that if you go first you have to plan You're covering 21 extra points over the course of the game if the, you know because that's what happens they'll yep. you know they go second uh, 20 extra points or whatever it is yeah yeah, it was
0: bad. Uh it's her, and then round five uh was another matchup that uh, another another teammate of mine, Will Lozato, again one of the best players you have never heard of because he doesn't really travel, but uh just incredible top tier player. And you have to if he's at an event, you're gonna have to go through him. Uh and he was playing um he was playing a very shirk and heavy uh swift strikes, uh, masterful shots, uh very movement based um bike list with a unit of uh, a big unit of Wraith Guard. Um, or whatever the ones with the guns are uh as kind of like his anchor unit and uh that was a very cat and mouse game i I can't remember the name of the mission but it's the one with like the two rows of three objectives and it's like a dawn of war and i basically just did the same thing i set up in the ruins where i could cover kind of cover threat on like four out of the six objectives um and i think this is only his second game in the world Eaters, um so he like knew what they do but but the practical experience like wasn't quite there yet uh and then he i think he didn't account for the fact of how fast I'd be scoring and then i was just missling over like Zirkers over and over again just to, like kind of like dump on his um uh, on his primary scoring and by the end of the game i was kind of like running low on assets so i literally just went to like preservation mode i like put like Zirkers and rhinos drove the rhino into a corner <laughs> uh, rhinos were charging like his little units to prevent him from doing like the uh the scout objective i was trying to like Kill anything that was going to get like behind enemy lines, that kind of stuff. I ended up winning that point, that game by like three points. Uh, Unfortunately, because of battle points ties, I lost to the the event winner by one point. Um, And then Curtis, who I beat by seven points in round two, he came in second place. And then Will, who I beat by three points round five, he came in fourth place. And I got bumped to fifth place, even though I beat two of the people above me. So moral victory. (laughs) But yeah, I, I ended up coming to fifth in that.
2: You guys don't do win path for for rankings over there.
0: I don't. I don't know what the the, the to he's he has multiple businesses. He mm-hmm. he's into magic. He's into Pokemon. He's like he loves the forty k. He doesn't really play anymore. But like we're just another game in a series of like games customers yeah. he tries to keep happy. So he's not like as like involved or plugged in as like you and I are. Or something <laughs> like that, you know. Right. So like, there's a good chance that he just we've shown him how to do it before. There's a good chance that he just kind of like did something a little bit awkward. So it is it is what it is. Um, but I was I was still very happy with that, learned a lot, um, because that was my tenth game with World Leaders. Uh Vibe Check Lee, I actually played a game last night. Um, I was testing out a new CK list that literally was just went wide on um chain cannons and then had three executioners and two carnivores. And I looked at my round one pairing and it's guard. I'm like, great, this is not. This is not good, because um, I'm mostly playing Chaos Knights for for teams, for Team USA. Um, and so this is not really a pairing that we would try to put me in, so I was like, okay, well, let's see what he's got. Okay, he doesn't have two... He doesn't have a, He had a Dorn, he had a Tank Commander, he had two Russes uh, and a couple Sentinels. I'm like, okay, this isn't, like, too too bad, but I'm still, like, not looking forward to it, because he had two units, Karskin, or whatever, and it was on Recover the Relic, so it was going to be a little bit of stare off i'm like okay that's kind of in my favor uh, and it was table 5 i think which like gave me a pretty safe deployment and then there was one bruin that i could kind of push up into and get dread range on half the objectives and i was like okay well i can score ruthless Tyranny 3 points a turn so it's 15 in the bank right there i could probably get two maybe three um points on uh on uh storm of darkness which is the action secondary for ck so it's like 8-12 there. What's my third going to be? Um, I had really had no way to really interact with his tanks except for punching them, but because this mission is kind of a stare-off, he doesn't really have an incentive to come to my side of the board. Mm-hmm. I don't really have an incentive to come to his side, and I don't really have a way to do so safely uh, unless I just come out and rush, which then leaves me open to falling behind in primary late game. Um, and then even then, I, I've done the math, like even with some buffs and everything, and assuming I have all knights alive, I kill like one and a half Russes a turn, and that's assuming that like before we even start getting the modifiers and everything involved, so it's not super viable. Um, luckily, uh, I'm not, I don't have to spend CP on minus one damage. I don't have to spend CP on interrupts, so that meant I was going to be flush with CP to, uh, to do the herpetrex strat uh, for the AoE mortals and then Ravenous Terror Shades and mine in his turn that combined with the seven indirect launches I have meant I had a way to interact with his stuff mm. uh, without really exposing my assets. And so I asked him what he he gave him a no prisoners and he's like, mm. I don't know, it's not it's not that high or whatever. It's like a seven or eight. Seven I eight. counted it. I counted it. I looked. I'm like, okay, it's like a nine. I'm like, that's good enough. He's right. like, you sure? No. I'm like, trust me. And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> it's
1: better than zero. Like, yeah.
0: Well, the no, well, because if I if I went for bring it down I'd have to expose multiple 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 nights to kill a single tank yeah you're gonna lose I guarantee on that. it and then I lose them in okay, return yeah, so heavy, just yeah. whereas I could just indirect fire indirect fire rabbit yeah. maybe if they get too close herpetrax maybe do an auto explode cheeky auto explode here or there you know like stuff like that mm-hmm. a guy can advance because the chain cans are assault get angled. so it just felt way safer mm-hmm. um I did a mop deployment while we were there figured out what I could hide. I was, two guys would have gotten shot, so I just reserved the carnivores. I didn't really have a use for them. They didn't have indirect. Um, and because of all the indirect I had, it actually forced him to put his can off the board. So that was a huge value gain for me. Yes. Um,
1: three three can- quick clarifications before yep. you keep going, Tim. Um, yeah, one, go check league is the, uh, we randomly have a 72-person TTS league. That is like become a GT filled with a bunch of incredibly talented players. Uh more reasons to join the Patreon and get in the Discord. Uh two, um Tim, if you could talk a little bit about one, like how cheap the access to like decent indirect fire is and chaos Knights is. And then two, specifically, I'm guessing you were running your Bebop, Bebop, and Rocksteady for the carnivore. I was, I was I was running the uh, bebop and rocksteady. And if you could talk it, a little um... bit more about those two, because they're like Low key and incredibly powerful duo slammed into sure. things together. They did
0: they did nothing this game, but that's fine. <laughs> They're not for this matchup. Uh, although I did I did uh, the game was starting to kind of go off the rails a little bit like early on. So um, that Dorn was posted up in a really commanding position, mm. but I was able to bring in. I had two wounded uh, two wounded knights that were like kind of like barely holding on to the objective, and they were in a perfect spot for those uh, Cashkin to walk on and just split fire and pick them both up. So I screened him out with the – I brought in the Nurgle Knight from reserves to screen out the one spot because he couldn't show up in my deployment zone. He couldn't show up behind me, and he'd be out of range if he showed up on the other side. So I brought that Nurgle Knight, screened him out, but that Nurgle Knight was also in uh, dread range of the Dorn and several other units. And I pushed up two uh, Stalkers on my left flank, and I was like, okay, well, hopefully one of these idiots lives. Uh, And then I could start pushing on his flank. And I reminded him, um, I don't think he really had to worry about it, but I think it like it got in his head a little bit. And by the way, the guy played Isaac, great player. I could tell he, don't, he said he only been playing for a year, but it was just the power of TTS. He had gotten, he said he's been getting like five games a week, mostly with right. the Pure Knights and, and Guard. And it it was showing. He was a very competent player, very good player. Um so he ended up having to um put a bunch of firepower into this night, this normal knight, and I popped um I obviously popped uh rotate and the idea was it was just going to soak up as much firepower as possible and then my two other stalkers between range and angles and the uh, dense cover and stuff like that that one of them would live and then I, they I could start like threatening his game plan on his flank well the Nurgle light might lived on two wounds so they just walked forward under that objective right there because mm-hmm. if it over if they tried to charge and took out and try to take out the wounded me rust like if I failed one save it'd be dead so I was like eh, I'm not gonna go for it. it's too greedy it shouldn't be alive anyway, so I just stepped onto the objective. The two other stalkers walked out there, basically just murdered two two guard squads and two sentinels, and I held them to a four uh, that turn. And at that point, it was just trying to like keep my assets alive, um, try to like hope for a third storm of darkness, which never materialized, and then just tre- keep trying to kill his infantry while losing as few assets as possible. Uh, and so. I ended up losing that one. Um, but it was like seventy nine me and like ninety-three him. It ended up being like a 12-8 differential scoring, which
1: That's a really good
0: card. For my worst for my worst matchup, yeah. I was like super happy with that. Yeah, you will take that any day. Every time. Well, especially because he he shot he shot the crap out of an executioner, put it down to three wounds. He shot a, another knight, uh that he he like I wasn't I was trying to be as well as I could to not give him Multiple angles onto like any single knight, so he had to like split fire his shots. Let Dread do his work, whatever. He shot another knight, killed it with the Dorn. It blew up. It hit five other knights. One of them was that wounded knight. I rolled three No, to it. it blew up. <laughs> I did like I did like nineteen <laughs> mortal wounds to my own army. Like I couldn't oh even be mad. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, that happened. So getting so getting a seventy nine ninety three like twelve eight differential like while doing 19 mortal wounds to myself to like, like turn two like <laughs> bottom of turn two like i was kind of okay with that
2: have you like, just considered so, not doing 19 mortal wounds to yourself yeah. like i you I, I, not keep trying, more...
0: I keep i keep forgetting i'm like this game i'm not going to do 19 mortals to myself uh, and yeah. it just it hasn't caught on
1: yeah. um
0: so two of the things i was trying with that list uh was uh precision cruelty executioners i didn't get as much of a testament that list as i wanted to but also with the mission um Everything everything was basically either a guardsman behind a wall or like a T-8 or T-9 tank. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like ideal. Um, I would have loved to shot, shoot him in Sentinels, but he was doing very good in like not giving me those. Uh, he was pretty worried about them, but I was kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. My game plan at this point was just pretty much not interact with his vehicles at all. I was to go after his, uh, his dudes. Ah, uh, bebop and rocksteady. That's that's something that Anthony and I have tried before on stalkers, and it's been cute. But we tried it with sentinels, and it's been really, really, really good. They're carnivores. Basically, uh, that's what I meant. Carnivores. <laughs> um, so basically, now that we're kind of like in a shooting meta, like I've kind of been leaning more towards going more shooting with my chaos knights. But there's still matchups like uh, custodies, uh world of Year, stuff like that, where people are gonna actively try to aggressively push up into you. So these carnivores, their whole job is to go in a pair and they go out and they intercept melee and start trying to stage before they can actually get into you. They have the speed to do it. Um, they don't really have guns, so you can just advance them like one turn, then they can like they move 14s, so they can just run around like these ruins, especially these WTC ruins, which yeah. eat a lot of movement trying to run around them. And they grab stuff. Uh, basically, the Slanesh Knight, who's the one that really grabs it, he's the Warlord, uh, which lets him heroically intervene, which gives you a little more control. And then he takes the Helmet Dogs. Um, so when you're staging, he can give rerolls to your other guns. But more importantly, he gives rerolls to himself and he gives rerolls to the normal Knight in melee. Because when these guys are in melee, it's probably going to be the most critical fight phase of the game. Because um, it's going to be game-defining, usually. It also gives them an extra attack. Uh, and then he has the Slanesh Beguili Majesty uh, upgrade, which is when he is targeted as a source of melee attack, he's minus one to be hit and he's minus one to be wounded. Uh when he's when he uh is favored or blessed, uh he also has a six inch aura, not against him, but an aura of minus one attack. The Nerbal Knight is um the default is an aura of minus one strength. And then when he's blessed, it's an aura of minus one toughness, um, which is kind of handy, but I'm really here for the minus one strength. And so basically if you have like a big brick, like a big unit of wardens or something like that, I will charge and I'll put uh one of them on both sides. So that way, like in the middle of the brick, like like you'll have like a guy in the middle who can't swing because he's holding coherency. Yep. And then like these these two, like my fingers, these two will go into like a knight, and then like these two will go into the Nurgle Knight. And everyone, the ones that go on the Slanesh night are minus one strength, minus one to hit, minus one attack, minus one to wound. Then you pop minus one damage on him. <laughs> if it's just a big, if it's just a big unit like eight bound, uh, and I tested this against uh, Anthony Vanilla's world leaders, where I basically stayed. I was using my experience playing world leaders. I basically just set up my entire army. I was constantly just kind of kiting him and just trying to find spots where he couldn't really jump from terrain to terrain. And I was about twenty one inches away. Uh, so I knew that he could, he could theoretically make the charge, but he had a high probability of failing and then just getting counter-charge or shot for free. Uh, but he was starting to push up 8-bound into me. And so I pushed the Slamesh Knight, and I charged into slash Knight. I based a bunch of 8-bound. I had the Nurgle Knight behind a wall behind it, so his aura, because the... the a war dog knight uh, base is like four, four and a half inches or something like mm-hmm. that. So the noble knight was behind it, not in combat. Because if he got swung on, he's easier to kill. So I wanted to force as many attacks into the Slimesh knight as possible, and popped minus one damage. Now these eight bound. I mean, yeah, they have like the sergeant hits kind of hard, but the the regular guys they have like twenty eight attacks at seven three two. Well, now they have six attacks each. So that's you know four attacks gone from them, five attacks gone, gone from the squad they were hitting on fours, they were wounding on sixes, and they were minus one damage. Uh, and just like, and then, and so, and he brought Whoa. in the Zerkers, and then the part like he brought in the Zerkers too, and they were in her intervention range, and They were prospect, and we were on the, on the center objective, I'm like, Anthony, do you want to heroic intervene? He's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and heroic intervene. I'm like, perfect. I swung on the Zerks first, because it was only two dudes, killed them, turned on my blessing. Now, the eight bound were minus one attack. He swung into them and just did absolutely nothing. And basically, that 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 duo sat there and basically tanked like three World Eaters fight phases on that center objective, while the rest of my army was just kind of like hiding his him and shooting him up. Uh, so I think I'm going to go other places with the list, but that duo is like definitely going to be in a lot of my lists. Uh, and that's and then that's pretty much it. That's been my two weeks, but it's been very eventful. Yeah,
1: getting after it, Nick. You guys,
2: you guys are a heck of a lot busier than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, my, uh, I guess, last two weeks has been um, work. I don't even think I've managed to play a game. I haven't played an event since LVO, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it <laughs> me too. Just, yeah, it'd just, it just be like that, right? Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, there was a, a GT uh, that Francois had won like, a couple weeks after. Uh, LDO that I considered going, but I mean, after just getting back from Vegas, that was a hard sell. Um, but no, I mean, my biggest things the last two weeks. We have a a team tournament coming up, the Canhammer team tournament. It's like the flagship event for all of us. Like, there's two of them, Capital City Bloodbath, but especially Canhammer because it's the big team event of 32 teams descending upon Ottawa to fight it out. Uh, it's also a qualifier too. So now we're all like thirsty. So I've been busy kind of just, you know, uh, getting the team trying to help get organized. Uh, We're discussing a lot of lists and whatever else, what we're going to take, you know, how we're going to try to be clever, which obviously is going to bite us in the ass when we come to the event. Um, And then the other thing is just, yeah, doing the all is dust thing, just organizing, making calls and doing all the doing all the stuff you do uh, to organize an event amidst kind of I guess the theme of this cast being being a dad looking after the little one uh, I mean I work from home so I mean that's uh that helps quite a bit but uh still I mean you know between you know daycare closures or you know sick you have to go there then appointments you yeah. know they get home early uh, you know it's uh yeah it gets busy but uh yeah that's that's really about the size of it I live a pretty boring 40k life right now uh, I must say. <laughs> Well talk like can you talk let's talk a little bit more about the TO
1: work you've been doing over the last few weeks because so it even has it's not like the last two weeks is the first time you've really started working on this. Like months ago you had been oh yeah yeah this. you were talking about in the display. August. Um yeah, yeah, you've been you've been getting after it for a while. Like so I guess can you talk a little bit about one, just sort of what the stages of planning look like for putting on an event this size? uh and then like what sort of time commitment that requires uh early on like what are you trying to assess early on how much time does it take um how does this how does this work sort of shift as the actual event approaches and then um what are the things that have been unsurprising to you based on your understanding of events as an attendee and a player and now to and then like what have you been surprised by with respect to like organization time sucks things like that
2: Sure. I mean, yeah, so I uh, I've been talking about this since August, I think, in the discord. So um, I had only been recently added to a kind of local Ontario uh, to chat in August. And so, I, you know, I was looking at the calendar, uh, you know, for 2023 in the, you know, the first, say, five months, of 2023. And it was looking kind of thin at the time. Of course, it's August. But I'm a kind of person that like like likes to plan well in advance. Yeah. And I'm just one of those guys that has has everything kind of planned out. All, all the connections made in my mind. So I was like, oh, well, that's kind of thin. So, um, you know, I'd been attending events since, I don't know, eighth edition Warhammer fantasy. So mm-hmm. I figured well, well, it was high time for me because I see um, historically like events were kind of the TOS were really just giving up their time and actually subsidizing in in a lot of ways, events for people to attend. That's what it ended up being. You just had the guys that made a little bit more money and everybody else that are, you know, went, you know, got at it and they, they would run events and that's essentially how it went. So I thought, well, okay, I mean, there's no events. We don't have any in my area. And, um, I mean, it's high time that I give back a little bit to the community. I've been going to so many events. Well, you know what I want to give back and I'll, I'll run one. So that being said, of course, um, you know, if you're you're asking like, what are the some of the key components of running an event? Well, so far, I mean, there's kind of a couple of things you need that decide the go no go at least. And one is terrain. Like, if you don't have terrain or access or means to get terrain, well, I mean, you're not running an event by and large. So, uh, so what had happened in August? I was like, okay, I kind of mentioned a little bit. I'd considering it, like, kind of sending out feelers and whatever else I'd actually started emailing different retailers uh like glasshammer actually because um, they they have like preset um tables like they have table layouts that they they, they give with the sets that they sell and the sets that they sell are actually fairly cost effective nice. I can't speak I sorry
1: is that nice yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah I can't speak to like how effective they are I mean I've heard from some people that they like them Like any other terrain set, there's pluses and minuses. Um, But I was like, you know what? Good enough for me. The issue is at the time, Glasshammer didn't have like, you know, they're in the UK. So, you know, they didn't have a stockist or distributor on our side. And so it wasn't really feasible to be like, oh, can you send me 50 tables of terrain? You know, Um, and then around us, we don't at the time didn't really have somebody reliable that could deliver um, like 50 sets of an MDF style terrain. So that all being said, uh, you know, I, this thing almost kind of like just didn't happen because, like, well, I guess I don't have train until my buddy texted me. He owns uh, a bunch of stores in Ottawa, and he he had been collecting train for a while. Like, he's this is something he'd been doing for a while. He owns a store and whatever else, and he had put a big order with somebody and it was you know slowly collecting his like thirty sets or forty or whatever of this same terrain. He's like, hey, I can help you out, and I was like awesome like okay uh like let's think about this and so I'm like okay I got terrain so like that's the first component so the next component is a venue right so um depending on where you live I guess venue costs can be astronomical so um I don't know how kind of familiar you are with the Canadian scene but we just had our kind of stud or scrub uh stutter or snotling. Stutter or yeah yeah in in a run by the scrub podcast in Toronto anyways, I won't divulge their their financials, but like, their break even point was considerable, right? So, um, you know, that's another thing you have to think about, we'll talk about later. But um, so you like you have to find a venue that is kind of, in a sense, cost effective, or you're confident, you can get the people there to break that cost on top of your other expenses, Mm -hmm. whatever else. Now, the benefit of being in a I'm in this weird kind of la-la land. I'm in a military town next to one of Canada's biggest land bases. And we're full of special forces, air force, officers, garrison HQ. So there's a lot of like actual, the the, the median income in where I live is one of the highest in Canada. Just mm-hmm. because by virtue of that. Little town of 17,000 people, but they're all officers and right. operators and air force personnel. So like they all make money, Right um so anyways uh but it is a small town so like the the venue areas are much cheaper so i found the you know uh, our civic uh our civic building or civic town civic center had a, a you know a sizable room that they would rent out for i guess people's weddings or whatever and it was very clean it was nice inside nice kitchen the washrooms were the first thing i checked out well done washrooms i don't know if you've been a sweaty nerd long enough, you notice the washrooms are kind of a big thing. I've been there the days where you'd go and the washrooms are grimy. The toilets are overflowing. You're like, I'm (laughs) going to go crap in the parking lot. So like, hopefully we, you know, we've reached a different standard. Anyway, so yeah. So they, you know, they were available. The, I mean, the price was, price was right. So I threw it on my, you know, I paid for it immediately. Like, cool, let's, let's do this. So I was like, I had the venue. I had the terrain. But now like, I got to get bums, like, I got to get, like, not bums, like, but like bums in the seats. I need to get people at the event. And I need to. So, the one thing being part of the StatCheck Check Discord, I've noticed you get, like you said, this amazing access to top players, like international. Like, yeah. I think Liam Hackett just joined the, the yeah. Discord recently, like, wild,
1: right? And joined our TTS League, which, uh, yeah, uh, just like, sucks for everybody else, but.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well. Anyways, that was fun. My chance to winning that. Uh, but oh anyways. no! That's
0: that's the best part, man. You want you actually don't want to win the stat check because that means you're playing against like really challenging players. Yeah. Like. So, that's uh, what it, that's what be be yeah,
1: we'll, <laughs> we'll be an interesting ON1 bracket in that uh, TTS. League. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, that's a problem with that that five check league. Even if you lose, you're gonna be playing like top players. It's like, oh geez, so much fun.
0: <laughs> you ideally you're like everyone's gonna come out of this, like almost everyone's gonna come out of this league like a better significantly better one hundred percent I Isaac, I didn't know anything about Isaac, and then I I played I played into him, and immediately, I mean, granted, like the 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 matchup, the faction matchup, like wasn't really in my favor, but immediately it was like I i any GT I went to, I've never had a round one that hard, you know. Oh of course like, round yeah, one, round cool. one's usually round one's usually give me in my first round one. I was like, oh hardest faction matchup. And then like like, uh, like a confident player. Yeah. but I mean that's 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 what we always talk about. Like granted it's it's hard, and that's a big part of this episode is like how to maximize or the show is how to maximize your time. But he mm-hmm. said, he's like, he's like I like TTS because I was never able to get this many reps in playing yeah. the live game. And I do yeah. like the live game. But he's like, with with TTS, it's he's like, I'm getting like five games a week, you know? And I'm like, I don't know if I could personally get five games a week on TTS, but I could see, like, if it's a little bit of a lighter week, that does seem reasonably doable. Like, you mm-hmm. know, maybe not every mm-hmm. week, but if you have a lighter workload like that week or something like that, like it's, it's possible, but that, that was the power of repetitions. Cause I could tell that yeah. that was just from playing into a multitude of people multiple times a week and just the constant, um, the constant quality practice. And it was, it really just kind of like drove that point home. in my opinion.
2: Yeah. So the a hundred percent. And so the discord has tons of like top players, very experienced players. So You're able to kind of pull, uh, so, you know, you can do that for your game plan, like playing the game, but you can also do that from the coordination, like event coordination perspective. Like, I mean, you and I, Cliff had spoken at LVO and I'm like, Hey man, like this is your first big event. You went to the biggest one. So, okay, great. But like what drive for you, what like didn't work for you. And you know, that's that kind of insights that I was like, okay. Like I was keeping in the back of my mind, like terrain, unclear. Not only was it not, you know, I mean we could all forgive uh, like the some of the sets of the terrain but what was sometimes a little bit unforgivable that it was very obvious that you know um how the rules were set up for those terrain sets led it to very blowout games right so okay so obviously like having clear terrain rules mm-hmm. that feel balanced you could never make everybody happy but as best you can with the tools you can't you have like can you make clear uh, competitive, relatively balanced terrain layouts, or, you know, we use player place, but how do we try to ensure that that's as, you know, balanced as possible? So, you know, uh, that was one. Another thing you would mention was the kind of just the act like coordination perspective, just like how the event itself is being handled, like communication. Do you know what's going on? So, um, (laughs) you know, yeah, that was one. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing. Um, and there's also i you know from an flg perspective like a name recognition thing so my next thing was like okay i mean there's a lot of people in there's enough people and i think the ottawa ontario quebec meta that that know me i i'm you know like i'm not that big a deal but i like i think i've been around enough that enough people know me from that area but to really get out there get a name out there that's when i was like okay I need kind of name recognition. I need people's confidence that, you know, when they arrive at the event, it's going to be handled in a professional manner, particularly when it comes to games. So that was another comment you had made. It's like, I wanted a judge. I could not see a judge anywhere in this event, so I could not have any kind of ruling adjudicated. Like it's, it was up to us to figure this out. And if it was going to be a, you know, a tense affair, that was going to be unfortunate because. You know we wouldn't have you know you would be spending 10 minutes on your own clock to go try and find a judge somewhere so yeah. i was like okay well you know um that like yeah was your feedback this feedback i'd heard before i've been to a ton of events i've had the same issues so i was like okay i texted jeremy who do we all know jeremy's a good friend of mine and i was like hey man do you want to uh would you judge this event like if i you know if I run this, would you help participate and judge? And he, he said he was 100 uh, percent happy to do that. So, I mean, those were kind of like the three major components of starting this up was finding the venue, the terrain and like just getting the fundamentals ready. Like, uh, you know, a bit pimping Jeremy out a bit, like being like, hey, look, I got Jeremy come to my event <laughs> and like I mean, it worked. And so, yeah, that was it. And then, so that's the first, I would say, kind of like stage of the, of the planning procedures is like the date and time, um, whatever else we took some risks too. So we chose Adepticon weekend. So, uh, Canada is kind of like event wise, always been a bit in the U S shadow. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in this, in this game from Warhammer fantasy to, to now long enough to know that, um, like years ago we'd have like one or two events here, the rest, like if you wanted a big event, you're going to the U.S. So you go to Nova, you go to Vegas, you go to whatever, right? Um, so what that meant was as our event calendar, like in t- uh, on our side was building up, people are always nervous to book around those big U.S. events. Like don't book around Nova, don't book around Adepticon, Las, you know, the o- Las Vegas Open. But then as the U.S. as well started having more and bigger and bigger events, it's like, mm-hmm. well, we can't follow that pattern anymore because we're not going to have any weekends because we're gonna just always be booking around the U.S., and as much as those events are great, I mean, I mean, I, I think all of us are like fairly well to do in the sense of like the upper middle class guys, like I can't spend five grand every weekend going to an event, right? That's just, yep. that is beyond my means. So, um, so anyways, yeah, the one risk we took was we looked at Adepticon. It's kind of one of those events that if you've been going for years, you're going to go, but it's not one that's going to attract the the new generation of competitive players or like the players like Tim and I that have always kind of eye on like like just refining that competitive edge over the years and making it better and re re like re-envisioning how that looks for events so anyways decided we're going to do Adepticon weekend we're going to lose the guys going to Adepticon but then we're going to gain the people that um that otherwise didn't have an event that weekend because nobody would book that weekend so that was kind of the first stage of it all And so, yeah, I I planned a little early. I honestly thought I was doing it um, in an empty calendar. I wasn't really expecting the calendar on our end around this time to be so busy. I fired it up and, yeah, we started getting some registrations and stuff. Um, And I think that's kind of where it goes into that second stage. And I guess it depends when you start planning and the size of your event and the scale. Like me, it's only a 60-person GT slash major. Like I'm not organizing the WTC. So like obviously the level of planning and coordination is much simpler in a sense than it is to do that for the WTC. So like when you're looking into the October to December timeline at that point, it's a bit slower, right? It's a bit, I'm going to draft up the player pack. It's limited the amount of strict, you know. Decisions I can make now because we know like the meta shifts we, you know, sometimes you have to call audibles and whatnot, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, but like in the new year, we'll be able to start making uh, firmer decisions and um, and that's like your kind of third stage, like leading up your 3A stage leading up to the event. That's when you start like, okay refine the player pack, what are the missions, if there's there's a fact specific FAQ, you know, like, we're gonna serve food. So now I have to get the caterer, then there's the whole budget component, which that actually started, you know, in stage one. Um, I know. And that's another thing, too. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a little scattered. But it's another thing too, in like the I take for granted, I, I will say, and it's kind of like a place of privilege that in the initial budgeting step, I know for a lot of people, for some people it can be like a big financial commitment to be like, I'm going to run an event. And if this doesn't work out, I'm kind of screwed, mm-hmm. right? For me, it was always a bit of a, I'm going to run this event. If it undersells, it's going to be a hit to my ego, right? It's going to be like, oh, well, nobody came to my big birthday party. i <laughs> oh woe is me i'll uh, just kind of consider like i paid to have a cool warhammer party that's kind of in my mind kind of like if it didn't work out that's how my mind would just look at it like i just had ran a party for my friends and i'm i'm okay with that uh obviously like about last sometime a couple weeks ago last month it just completely sold out went wild uh so i don't have to worry about paying really out of pocket for it though uh, still a little bit because like There's always more and more and more I want to do. So I'm always like, yes, we're going to do this and this and this and this. But yeah. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, the uh, then the last the last kind of part is like kind of the ruthless nitpicking, the ruthless, like pouring over every word you write, everything you do, uh, hearing what people's comments are like, Um, you know, I I, I guess I'm not going to sit here and say I know exactly what makes a successful event. We haven't had it yet. I mean, it's successful so far in the sense that we sold a lot of, like, we sold it out and we have this long waiting list. I mean, it won't be successful if everybody leaves and they say, yeah, that was complete garbage. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think uh, what's going to be maybe a little different than what some people are used to is that, you know, when pe- players are like messaging me, I'm taking it to heart when they say something, when they're like, hey, I think this, you know, they're not making the decisions, you know, nobody's like. You know, bullying the to in a risk in a, in that aspect, but I am taking to heart like people's concerns. Like, and as much as like, um, as much as like, I'm doing this kind of voluntarily. Like, I'm not getting paid. There's nothing in the budget paying me per se. Um, that doesn't give me. I find the right to just disregard how people are spending that weekend. Like regardless of whether you make money for an event or whether you're just doing that. Cause you want to run an event for some reason um, you're asking people to spend their money, their hard earned money and their hard earned weekend time to come to your event and enjoy that. So I think out of that res- like out of that respect, that mutual respect there, you got to do your best to deliver the best that you can. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, gold handles and stuff like that. There aren't going to be massage tables. Sorry sorry Cliff but I mean uh I mean like at least in terms of the experience of playing Warhammer having two dedicated judges um you know having food having you know like terrain layouts clear rules like I think that's where we're going to deliver and uh, you know hopefully people enjoy it and they want to see that event come back next year we'll continue to uh, iterate and you know continue to improve on it I mean you know, um Charles
0: Charles S in the comments brings up a good point and it's something I was considering. Um he says I would go to Canada for a good event before going to a DEPCON to be honest. And I was thinking about this when you were talking about how you don't schedule around these big events and everything. And uh as as recently as like three, four years ago, you had you had your you know, your big three super majors. And then you had like maybe like in the US, like another five, hmm. six majors yeah. that happened around the year. And then you had like a handful of like 30, 40 person GTs, like a handful. Hmm. And that was that was mostly it. Now we're kind of getting into a thing where we have like two to three majors and then like five or six GTs every single week. A lot of events. There's a lot of events. And I think I think especially like post uh post-pandemic, and everything like that, people are more than happy to not go to the big event and just kind of be stressed and feel Mm -hmm. and like because it feels like it kind of feels like i've noticed having gone to like lvo multiple times having to go into these bigger cons and everything and then having gone to like the gt up the street you know or like two hours away or something like that um that, that that kind of like big stress of the terrain like not being quite there, or you make it blown out, or you make it like that one you know, you're tra- like you're traveling, like with your, your luggage and your army and everything, sure. and just that constant undercurrent stress had kind of gotten normalized a little bit. And it was almost like you were expected to just like kind of put up with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and so I think there is actually kind of like a market there to uh to now purposely schedule an event during these big events and kind of treat it a little bit as like a loss leader. Where it's like, okay, you're probably going to be in the red for your first two years of doing it. But if you just focus on providing like a good quality, low stress event, you know, hey, you give me money, I give you clearly written GT pack, clearly Mm -hmm. written schedule, you know, and then like decent terrain and, and like good, good judging to the point where like, it happens at LVO. I've had to make like internal decisions where I'm like, okay, this, this, my opponent's taking me a little bit for a ride. What yeah, he's like, telling yeah. me doesn't does quite doesn't quite pass the spell test. But do I want to burn twenty minutes of clock time over this? So yeah. you just kind of make these little concessions that like yeah. scruples opponent can like take advantage of. And next thing you know, they they, they they're. Their advantage has gone like one percent two percent four percent five percent it just adds to the <laughs> and you're just like we can never find you could never find a judge and the judges are always like just like oh just call yeah. a judge i'm like well, it's not just call a judge it's burn 30 minutes of your clock yeah. time trying to well, hold down right. this guy and then not only that if you have to leave the table you're like am i going to come back and all the models are going to be like suddenly off the objective you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah all yeah. of a sudden like they're in line of sight you know like is it worth it and it's just at that point it's like a failed game state so why yeah. even bother yeah um and so like i think people kind of actually enjoy these middle sized events you know like these five six round events of 30 to 80 people that's a really good size um there's some bigger events that i'm going to go to but i'm certainly going to a lot less of them uh next couple, mm. couple of years because lvo is like five grand to go to now and honestly i think i think that the i think the big events i think on their own inertia they're going to be around for several more years but i think yeah more the really competitive people Especially if the if the ITC like the rumors of it getting bought out by GW and they're not posting it and the and ITC points aren't the end all be all anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, They never
2: were.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you say that, but they really were. It drove a lot of people to spend. Like it drove a lot of people to go to like twenty four events a year. People want to see the big number get bigger. Yeah. Yeah, they want to see the big number get bigger. Well, yeah, it's a competitive
2: like endeavor, right? We all want to see our you know it's like that street cred thing it's a validating was, thing right it's
0: yeah that was that was functionally like that was like it wasn't it wasn't the true like elo but for most people like it was for several years it was the de facto elo like sure, that was yeah. the, their pride point more than any one a big individual event i mean sure like if you want lbo if you want noah like whatever that was cool but that's what people were chasing and so now like if that goes away i think that's just nothing but like a good thing for the game because now people could just focus on going to these medium size uh in like truly independent like medium uh medium majors like large gt's stuff like that and that really feels like where the heart and soul of the competitive game is right now
2: yep uh i couldn't agree more yeah i mean like how many top players at lvo uh i mean not to rag on lvo and we don't have to belabor the point too much but like how many were just i walked up to this table and that was the wrong table they got first drop and that's it my 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 run for the for this for this whole event is over and i mean i don't think myself personally when i went i think i'm a i think i'm a skilled competent player i'm not you know like uh i'm not in i'm not john lynn i'm not all those guys but you know i can i can disappoint some people sometimes uh mainly myself but some others sometimes but uh <laughs> You know, like for me, I got there. I played uh, Alejandro Serrano from Spain, top like Blood Angel player over there or something. And uh, we walk up to our table. We talk about the terrain. Super nice guy. He we roll to do the first drop. He rolls to get the first drop, and it's a big cathedral set on the sanctuaries. We look at each other, and I'm like, I think you won the game. He's like, Yeah, me too. That was literally, that was literally the discussion. We could have literally the whole just- system. Very yeah, we'll cool. no, play that. Anyway, so... Good yeah, game, bro. With, yeah, good game, bro. <laughs> we played it out a little bit, but yeah, it was basically yeah. what had happened. So, um, yeah, that's it. I think these events are the heart and soul. That's where I think you're going to get the most care and, and appeal. And not to say, like, I don't have an issue with events trying to make money. Like, why wouldn't events try to make money, right? Like, yeah, but people sure. are putting... Yeah, people are putting their time and effort, you know, should so get paid. Like, yeah, that was another not. thing you had mentioned, Cliff, and I'd heard before, too, But I've always been a big proponent, like you pay people, right? So like, for example, I asked Jeremy to do this. I didn't ask Jeremy to like, you know, volunteer his time. Like I'm paying him to do it. I'm paying his gas. I'm paying his meals and I'm paying his hotel. It's not costing him a dime to come. He's getting paid for his experience expertise. Like, I, you know, it's not like a super duper high salary. We're like you said, uh, Tim, uh, we're going to have to do a couple of years in the red but as we get to see where this um you know where this goes and this grows then i'll be able to better manage and understand what the budget should look like and you know allocate a bit more to that but yeah that was kind of some of the fundamental things i would like to see change like the level of professionalism uh, and care towards the actual competitive experience so like active judging was one of them so jeremy and i have judge shirts so you'll be able to pick us out of a crowd and we're one per 30 players so we're mm-hmm. two judges for 60 players so uh, one to 30 ratio and Reasonable we'll be there yeah. yeah yeah we'll be there up and down the aisles uh you know people want a judge call they can you know if we notice something like like you said if you, like nobody can know all the rules of this game so if i walk by and i see something that seems odd i can interrupt the game intervene say okay this and this and that resume the game state you're both cool all right move on you know like and uh you know like there's been a number of games that I'm sure anybody can say uh throughout their competitive experience like they wish they had somebody do that and you know we can't promise that we'll be able to catch every single instance that's not the case but at least it's a step in the right direction so those are kind of like the I think the big principles that we uh you know want to do to kind of professionalize a little bit to like just continue to push that a little bit forward. So I don't want to set the expectation like people coming. I hope they really do have a good time. I hope they find it's well organized. Um, I don't know if they're going to leave feeling like this has changed 40K. No, that's <laughs> obviously not what's going to happen. They will probably leave and say that was a good event. These these you know, these things were good. These things could improve. And uh, I mean, that's just I think the, the one of the big differences is like our commitment to to improve every time we do this. Um, yes. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's worth noting that like, it can sound as if players should have unreasonably high expectations for events, both in terms of uh, professionalization and organization, Mm -hmm. Um, and this may also sound a little bit snooty, but like. Charge us for it, right? Like I am paying to come to show. Like I know you had to rent the space. I know you had to buy the terrain. You put a lot of ton of a ton of your own time and like thinking mm-hmm. and expertise into building an effective mission pack. You're open to improving it in the future. Um Like I'm already in the hole hundreds of dollars for whatever faction I'm bringing, and mm-hmm. like dozens of hours, if not hundreds of hours, of my own time preparing it. Like I should be prepared to pay. 20 to 30 additional dollars. Uh, If that means like a TO who's done a great job, has the ability to like not run in the red. And in fact, like make things even better the following Mm -hmm. year. Like that's really valuable. Uh, And I think the player community uh, should probably make a pretty intense effort to internalize that. But conversely, I think like Logan's saying, like it is fair that like when you pay money for a thing, and that thing does not meet the expectations uh, that were described to you, you entirely are in the right to say like, Hey, that wasn't enough.
2: hundred uh, percent. I a hundred percent agree to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Logan say, and in my perspective, it's not limited to the for-profit events. I'm not saying you should be super critical of the volunteer TOs. Like they're the, you know, the heart and soul of what made, this today, right? If we didn't have them, we wouldn't have this, right? Yep. But at the same time, if you are asking people to come to your event, if you're setting this up and you're, you're whatever else, you should still put the effort. Like if you're not willing to put that effort to make it uh, worth their money and time, then just don't make the effort. We've at especially now, especially like. Especially now when the events, like uh, Tim was saying, they're multiplying like rabbits. They're everywhere. There's no more. We don't need the, you know, that one like martyr in the community says, I'll do this. Like there's like (laughs) people lining up to do it. So, um, yeah, I just think whether it's a for profit or like just somebody, a dude like me that, you know, got, got lost in the sauce a bit um i still think that they owe it to the players that they're asking to come like i can't like you guys or if you guys live near near me i'm confident you would probably come to support a buddy but but at the same time it wouldn't make me feel good like you guys are spending money to do this you get in the hotel you're driving over you know you had to negotiate this with your wife you know, like, you know, you're going to end up in the next weekend looking after the 14 kids because, and she's going to be at the spa because he had to go this weekend. So I have to respect that, that that's like the sacrifice you have to make coming to the event. So then, you know, to meet that is delivering on it. So that's uh, yeah, that's kind of the the big thing that uh, we're focused on. And I think we're going to get there. Yeah, for sure.
0: Cool. Let's move on to uh, questions. I notified the uh, discord that you were a guest today. We actually mm-hmm. had a bunch of questions. Half of them were making fun of you. we also have <laughs> some questions from, right? from we have some questions from uh last week, uh shortly or the previous week running up to uh this show. Uh so first from uh old head rickard A <laughs> U with umlauts over both of them. I never actually I never actually understood what that meant. Uh need my fellow X and ones to chime in with opinions. The should be a fun GT event I signed up for accidentally on purpose, sort of turned into a major. Uh, do I still do a bring an army I've used twice approach or do I pivot to use an army I've actually used? So the in my opinion, the distinction between DT and Major is really a moving target and it doesn't actually mm-hmm. mean much. And your goals for a multi-day event should generally not really change based on the label of the event. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're still giving up a weekend to go to an event. You're, mm-hmm. You shouldn't feel an external pressure just because 10 more people signed up or 20 more people signed up mm-hmm. um so if you were looking for like specific advice on what list you should bring i'm not going to give you that because in my opinion i think you should actually just reframe your expectations uh overall and it's really going to come down i know it's it seems like a cop out but it's what are your goals going to be or your goal is going to be to um to test uh ever since ever since joining team usa it's weird. All the single events to me have like now just become like testing grounds. Like I legitimately don't care about like my placings like ITC or an event or something like that. Like a lot of times I'll just bring a list where it's kind of like, oh, I have some reps. I don't have quite as many reps as I want to. Um, I've played against my teammates over and over and over again, but they there's, there's gaps in play styles and factions that I want to test this into. So let's just bring it and throw it into the wild, especially because people – when there's when there's clocks and there's events and there's like stakes, however small involved, like they play, they bring that little bit of extra like hot sauce uh to their play, usually. Uh and that's and that's good testing. That's what I do with the world eaters. I played five games and I was like, let's get five more. Uh so I brought them to a GT. And uh, I learned a lot from that that one actually. Um I even post posted a breakdown. So to come back to the question, which I masterfully didn't answer, um What are are your expectations? Uh, Do you want to do the best you can? Then, yeah, I would. If your army is, I wouldn't go like so much as like S tier, A tier, B tier, but I think generally you can kind of make the call is my faction in the top third, middle third, bottom third of like kind of like the power brand of the entire game? Then, if it's in that top third and you have like, and you're comfortable with it, then yeah, bring that one. you really only want to swap to an army if the raw power of the army is going to outweigh your loss of reps with it, and even then, I my personal standard is like five to ten games, and it better be like really powerful yeah, yeah. until like release orcs, release iron hands, something like yeah. that. It's got to be like in like. I'm talking about where you, you know, like you have like three stratagems memorized. You have like <laughs> two data sheets memorized and you're just and blowing you people out. Yeah. yeah. You're just like blowing people out. And if like, if someone actually makes a game of it then you're like flipping your book, you're trying to find like the, like the, the melee stats on like your, like your iron hands, like tech breed or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, but like generally, um, there is a give and take to fashion, faction loyalty versus uh faction swapping. Like Sometimes, sometimes faction loyalty, like, hey, sometimes your faction just sucks. Like, I'm sorry, like, it it is what it is until GW learns how to write rules. Uh, having a stable is always better. Um, but also, there's it's I don't know, it's like a Venn diagram. You want to kind of be in the middle of like faction power/slash faction mastery, but again, it just comes down to what your goals for the uh, the event are. Uh, what What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's all about expectation setting, right? Like, do I want to go and do something goofy and sort of explore, like, maybe I've been wondering how a given army concept would do in a more competitive environment? Because I'm like, I think I'm onto something here. Like, okay, cool. Let me go try it out um, in an actual competitive environment, see how it goes. Um, But if I know that this is going to be like one of the only sort of like larger sized events I might get to in a given year and I actually do want to like personally do as well as I can I might go with something that assuming it's in that upper third um go with something that I have a little more practice with just so I don't have to make as many difficult decisions over the course of the game uh or spend as much time trying to figure out what I need to do in a given scenario
2: yeah I'm, all, I'm along the those lines too um not being able to get out to events all that often the uh, i mean i won't be going i won't be playing at all dust because I'm, I'm i'm judging but should i like if i were playing at that one uh being one of the kind of infrequent ones i can attend uh yeah for me it would be uh, always what would i find the most fun to play but also uh the best chance for success out of what i own and that i can competently kind of like uh use i mean there's like uh there's a lot of great armies like gsc is a great one but you know i couldn't pick that up and make anything of it you know within uh you know a few weeks of an event right so uh you know for example my take i own thousand suns necrons and demons and votan right now that i could play and out of those four thousands i know the best but we know what happened to thousand suns and arcs so i'd be like oh a little hesitant there and the second one would be you know votan are okay but you know you need to know how to use them to score because their scoring is a little bit weaker right now and so demons just have a more linear game plan have good secondaries and i've uh, been playing demons for since i don't know seventh edition sixth edition so that's kind of where i'd go but that's what i would suggest demons also
0: have the strength of having multiple builds right now which is a great place to be whereas like gene circle we can see that they're doing really 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 well but they really only have like one build right now eric Lethors is kind of uh he's the one who created that build he right now he's kind of brainstorming a uh, new build with trucks it's on his yeah. on his blog um but generally they don't really have something if they get hit hard with something balance pass like they may not have something to pivot to yeah. whereas demons are they demonstrate the ability to roll with the punches
2: but yeah i guess bottom line like what these guys said it's uh really you have to look inwardly what you want to accomplish what are your goals for that event be honest with yourself Uh, you know, maybe you want to win, but you want to go with a meme list because you're afraid of trying, and that happens too. Like sometimes you get uh nervous about actually committing to being competitive in events, so you take something that you know, kind of uh you hamstring yourself to give yourself an out. Um, so be honest with yourself. If you want to go win, bring the army you think is gonna do the best that you have the most reps in, and and take that. Uh, if you just want to go have a couple of beers and have fun. And whatever is going to help you do that, then do that. I mean, there's no wrong answer, right? At the end of the day, uh, those like we all said, those ITC points, they don't they don't bury them with you, so uh, they don't it they doesn't don't really. Matter.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question, uh, also from Oldhead Rickard AU. I mean, maybe that means he's from Austria. I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me. We have a lot of uh, people in Europe. Uh, no, he's a
2: he's a friend East. of mine from the area. Rickard. Oh, cool. I'm okay. From, what is? Yeah, do you yeah, know?
0: Yeah. Do you know what that? Do you know what the AU stands for? I'm so, i
2: could. not so I have no that. idea what, what ask, that, ask uh, him next
0: time. Okay. So he says, what would you say should be the uh 40k priorities for people juggling the hobby, family work? Two, how does it feel that dust accidentally on purpose became a major? Uh so part one, obviously it's part one because I can't really answer part two. Um again, um I old head ricker keeps like keeps trying to hand us the
1: reins to his <laughs> disagree with the obeying, premise and I'm just
0: I, I <laughs> like I, I refuse to take the reins of your emotional well-being uh Rickard I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing it um that's a decision really only you can make um it's just I would say usually like between hobby hobby family work um it's 40k is a is a multi kind of um kind of hobby and you can kind of cleave to it and do like one thing well, you know, or you yeah. can do like a couple things like kind of okay. Um and I have chosen um for me I've chosen to play, try to play and try to be like excellence in playing. And I let the hobby slide a little bit. But I also yeah. don't enter um I don't enter any kind of like hobbying or painting competitions. I have been complimented before um on my hobbying. Uh, because sometimes I'll randomly, like every fifth model, I'll actually sit there and just put the, it just catches my eye. You know, I'm like assembly line five, ten of them, whatever. And then like one of them, I really like to sculpt. And so I, all of a sudden I just go down a rabbit hole and I pick out like little buckles and I pick out the details and I I paint like the little floor to lis the sisters, you know, that are like one micron wide and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I do that for me. Like I have a, uh, actually, let me see if I can, Find it. Hold on, you're gonna get a nice shot of my caboose. Yeah, here we go. Yes, yeah here we go. Good. So look at this. Uh my sisters, hold this up so you can see it. Oh, this is my trap. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And look at that. The, those angels, which immediately broke off. Right. <laughs> I put the I put the snow, I put the snow on their shoulders, everything. Like, look at that. It looks great. I've never good I've fun. never entered a painting competition. Uh, I actually got actually won uh, the first GT I brought sisters to. I got second best, like painted or whatever. I didn't enter. Someone else entered my army for me, Um, and then they were like come and like give me like critique and everything. And I was like, hey, fuck you, man! I didn't enter my army. I I did did that for me. I just did that for me. I just like the model, and I painted it for me. Um, But I don't. I I never like put myself. I never hitched myself to that burden of of hobbying excellence because for me it's like because then it becomes work. And so I don't want to feel compelled to paint models I don't like painting to a high standard and sacrifice my time. Some people do. That's fine. That's totally the thing. If I have a model that I want to, I do enjoy painting. I don't like assembling. I do enjoy painting, but I only enjoy painting the models I want to paint. But then there's models I have to paint for playing the game. Um, So if it's a model I like to paint, I'll paint it. I'll paint it well if I have time. If it's not, I won't. But really, you're, you're the only one that can make that decision.
2: Yeah, I'm a uh, historic, like, I'd say closer to the Warhammer Fantasy battle timeline. Uh, I was more the hobbyist versus the, like, the gamer. I was more concerned about, like, how everything looked and whatever else. But then, you know, the as the games have evolved since, the metas have shifted. Like, back in the day in Warhammer Fantasy, you would got your book and, like, good luck, 10 years, that was your book. You know, nothing would change that. and so you had the time to make these beautiful armies and whatever else uh, and then still kind of compete a little bit anyways so long story short till now i'm i'm less kind of the painter and more like like tim right i'm more focused on performance and at least within uh the time that i have to commit to performance like i can't play six games a week and whatever else so i have to manage that with the whole family thing uh but i'm more performance so now like sometimes the hobby stuff i do it to get armies on the table i do my best to make them look decently good but sometimes yeah you have i make hobby concession like i'm painting up some demonettes right now and i'm just hoping people don't pick them up to look at them closely that's kind of my uh yeah my thing and that's it you just you decide again what your goal is if you want to win games then you know uh you you know find the one or two armies that you like that are really good and you focus on them and you know don't spend as much time painting them uh, but yeah that's that's up to you that's uh we can't we can't decide for you
1: yeah yeah
2: i think there's also there are
1: like non like clearly indirect ways to engage with 40k like i obviously spend a lot of time on like making yeah. data available to everybody that plays this game because I like the idea of people who really care about what happens on the table having as much information about how the game should operate before they arrive at the table so that they're playing a real game. Like I want like skill-based outcomes of games played. Um, that said, I, I have been and probably will always be a like hobby first nerd, like I'm powerfully motivated to take good looking models and paint them up really well and get them on the table, which is why I have like a Trigon and a Moloch and in my theory, like they're not good, (laughs) but they look (laughs) beautiful. Uh, And so often I find myself, my army list making decisions are informed by like things that I would like to make look good on the table um, and like try to just figure out some way to make them work. Um, yeah, I care a lot about that stuff. Cool. Um, next question from Grant H. Uh,
0: this one is definitely directed at Nick. What was your favorite bad take about the article you wrote on StatCheck? Uh, parentheses, the competing one, which was very good in my opinion. Oh, it was a great
1: article.
2: I'm it was it. a great oh, article. Yeah. Um, so I have to preface this by saying, so I, I did. I, I wrote the article and I submitted it to the guys, but that's that article is much different from the original one. Like. Cliff, Nathan, Jeremy, everybody participated in building it and making it better. So, like, I can't take all the credit. The guys put a lot of work into it as well. Um, I must admit, well, I mean,
0: like... I had, had to clean up your language a lot. And, I like, for a mild-mannered guy, like, I was really surprised how much you were cursing in that article. I was a little bit <laughs>
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I, I was uh, <laughs> I was joking with Jeremy. I was like, I, Cliff really likes to to be out there, right? To really, to really chase the... I'm uh, quite <laughs> the, direct. A very direct, right? I'm like, hey, man, it's his website. I'll put it in there. But anyway, so (laughs) bad community bad takes. I got to be honest, uh, we've received like a ton of amazing feedback from that article. Actually, I I saw that question earlier in the discord. So I Googled the Reddit. uh, It was easy to find actually googled that Reddit thread. And it was actually a lot of people that uh, related to it and said, hey, you know what this some of them even said this article changed my perspective. Like, OK, mm-hmm. well, that's nice. But yeah, this is how I like to see it, too. You have to change your expectations, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I wouldn't say there was like a ton of really bad takes. There were some that like people just didn't like the argument. Right. Uh, they still felt that, um, you know, that they shouldn't have to spend a ton of money every whatever certain period of time to kind of catch up to the meta and compete. I mean, maybe if people like, Tim and I, they have like long-standing collections, like Demons for me, for example. Pivoting into Demons wasn't a big pivot. I owned all of it, right? I had to buy. I don't know if I had to buy anything, to be mm-hmm. honest. I just had to paint it. So, mm-hmm. um, eventually, that goes away if you're in it long enough. Um, I mean, some people said that getting good is just buying good stuff, and it's like, well, not really, right? There is a reason why the same people win consistently, regardless of whether what army. Like, it's in the NASCAR. <laughs> if you're Metaphor. if
0: you're kind of if you're kind of at the bottom of the hill looking up it could certainly seem that way but there's mm-hmm. yeah there's i mean there's some really big leaps and bounds you can make by like bringing the good bringing the best army and then making a good list out of like the units for the, the best units for the best book and then the synergies i mean it and piloting the, the, the it pa- yeah the power, the power the power scale goes like this but there are diminishing returns at the top everyone's doing that so at that point it's not a golden ticket it's just table
2: stakes yep yeah. I mean, some people had the expectation that they want to take that same, like they would say, the same kind of first, uh, firstborn Ultramarine army they've had for 20 years, and they want to be able to compete with that that collection that they've never changed, never updated. You know, they're still Goblin Green bases, and that's their expectation, which I don't know if is a real, like a realistic expectation. Um, another one said they wanted to see the Leafs win a game. I said, like, again, unrealistic expectations. <laughs> Come on. uh, another, another one called us tech tech job bros, uh, funded by Patreon. So I'm not a tech job bro, but yeah, I mean, we. Yeah, that oh, was, that was, the was the most, a
0: fun
1: one. Yeah, like, yeah, like wait, that was the most peculiar call out I've ever heard about. Yes. Like, uh, yes. sir, we
2: give all this away for
1: free, buddy. Like, what do you. Yeah, I know.
2: Do? Like, all this stuff you get for free. This article in a dashboard. Right?
0: Those yeah. bros from Silicon Valley coming to take my wargaming. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, totally. uh, and then I—I I mean, at some point on Facebook, uh, Stephen Box had replied, but that wasn't like a bad take. That was just kind of a back and forth. Yeah. Like I, we disagree fundamentally with how you want to see competitive gaming shaped, uh, but that's your opinion. I mean, uh, I don't think it's—I don't—I—I I disagree with it, but I wouldn't say it's like a wild bad take like some of these other ones. But otherwise, I would like to say that 95% of the feedback. That I've seen on the article was actually quite positive. So,
0: cool. Next, uh, next question uh, from Tom H. Uh, Two part question: are, are people from Quebec as bad as they say? Um, my only—I haven't been to, i haven't actually been to Quebec since I was a teenager, and I don't really remember much uh, from then. But my adult life last time I was in Quebec was—I uh, think I made a connection in the airport. You Know, I wasn't really impressed, but I mean, it's also an airport. Um, I'm more, I'll be honest, I'm more preferential to Western Canada myself, but I'm also like a big outdoor guy, so I like going to uh, I like going to Banff, uh, and the Rockies and stuff like that. So, uh, but as far as the people, I don't, I can't really make a judgment call. The second part of the question is that way to avoid picking up bad habit doing a lot of solo practice. Uh, I'm not i'm not really sure what solo practice you mean like if you mean like practicing deployments or stuff like that like that stuff is good as like a drill but it's it's like learning to do football or basketball by only doing drills you can't really do it um solo 40k practice sounds like solo wrestling practice if that makes sense like (laughs) i don't don't know how you get from like point a to point b (laughs) solo you can you can definitely like sprinkle it in as a supplement but um I mean, there's kind of admit- stuff
2: that you could do, like, you know, practice deployment. Yeah, right? like you practice, your first, you first turn practice deployment, your first couple yeah.
0: moves, you know, like how do I maximize points scored? Like, with my if my opponent is not actively disrupting my, my turn one, I went first movement, that kind of thing. But, like, that's it's limited, right? That's such, that's such, like, It's like well how do i avoid drowning if i'm only sticking a toe in the water i'm like "Mm, that's not really the issue at hand here Um, so my background is like
2: competitive uh tie boxing and it would be like just hitting pads and then going to compete Right. All you're doing is hitting yeah. pads and you're like, I'm you're gonna go going to go from
0: man. pads. And then like now, boom, you're like live in a match. Like,
2: yeah, exactly. Like, oh boy. That's uh, go it's, it, it's,
0: not, it's not the bad, it's not the bad habits of the issue here, man. Um, yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah. Tom, I don't, I don't know what your situation is. Uh, like, I don't know if it's like a time thing or like an access thing or whatever, but like reach out to us. Um, like, we'll, I don't know if you're in the vibe check league, but like you know, I'm going to plug it again. That's a great thing to get into. Um, but like, if it's, if it's an access thing or something like that, like reach out to us and like, maybe we can like work with you and try to like find a way for you to actually get some like real live, like, uh, actual practice, uh, as far as the Quebec thing, like Nick, do you want to take that?
2: Yeah. So I was born in Quebec. So I mean, uh, having won a GT and, you know, ruthless GT against a lot of WTC hopefuls and players, you know, not bad, a 501 at LVO. So I think I'm not too bad. The actual WTC team for team Canada has a disproportionate uh, number of Quebec players. Uh, you know, Francois Lalonde, one of the top players in the country from Quebec, uh, Dominique Carrette, you know, uh, Bruno Choquet, like there's a lot of top Quebec talent. I mean, of course, it's a, a Francophone pro- province. So there is that kind of barrier that is that kind of, uh, uh, you know, distance between the rest of like the continent that I'll speak you know, mainly English. Uh, I mean, I guess more south. There's probably a lot of Spanish so that's, you know, I can't speak to that. But, yeah, so I can see how there's, like, kind of that distance that would give people the impression that there's just nothing happening there. But, no, there's a lot of strong uh, competitive. I mean, those I'm players live sh- close I'm to not, Ottawa. I'm not sure if he was talking
0: about if, uh, if like, as far as 40K skill or if he was just making a dig at French Canadians,
2: both just of which broadly. are kind of hilarious. Yeah, broadly
0: both, yeah. both are hilarious.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Go to Montreal. Montreal is a lot of fun. Yeah, That's
1: awesome. Um,
0: let me unmute my. Let me unmute myself. There you go. Next question uh, from Canhammer Francois. Uh, speak of the devil. Yeah, speak, yeah, speak, of, speak of the it. devil. That's not that's not a French Canadian name. Uh, attempted to troll Nick, but instead here's a serious question: What was the biggest challenge in organizing your first event?
2: So uh, we talked about a bit like the. Um, like the dad thing, like how do you manage it with, uh, you know, with all the dad and professional responsibilities? And to be honest, event organization is a heck of a lot easier to accomplish as a working professional dad than being a competitive 40k player. Because I mean, um, maybe it's a bit similar to like running the the stats that the dashboard Cliff. but like in between meetings, you can you can send an email, you can, you know, make a phone call, right? You can, you know, text some people and coordinate, right? Like, that's kind of easy stuff you can manage in your calendar, but like to set up an evening game, have my buddy here while you're trying to put the kid to bed and like get some reps in and the wife wants to go to bed and, you know, you, you're you're you up at like 530 in the morning, so you don't want to be up till midnight. Right. That is the hard part of, like, trying to be a competitor 40k. So as far as like, what was my uh, that that's the dad thing. But for like, what was the big concern for this? The hardest part was probably the mental part at first, like the coordination stuff. I, it doesn't bother me. It's just making phone calls and setting up Excel sheets and giving out credit cards. Um, it was a mental thing. Like, I'm going to do this and nobody wants to do something and it to fail. Right. Nobody seeks to. nobody chooses to fail. Right. Um, so yeah, the big thing was like, I'm going to do this and, um, what if nobody shows up? Right. And I have this, like all the confetti, all the dressings, all the food and all the, whatever and all the train. And there's like a small RTT. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I've obviously been through a little bit worse, but at the same time, it still would have been disappointing. And so like, that was the kind of the, yeah, that was the kind of, uh, the, the, the kind of the more complicated thing. Of course that went away. When, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, we were hovering around the 40 registered. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're like yeah. breaking even-ish. Damn it's man. not going to cost me it's a plan. ton of money to run this. That's fine. It's not like this big event, but whatever. 40 is still good. But then Foswa texts me like a Sunday night. He's like, hey, do you know you're at 46? We were at 42 like earlier morning. He's really invested in it. He's the one that actually named the event, by the way. All his dust. He's the one that uh-huh. came up with that. Anyway, so then he texts me again in the morning. He's like, we're at 52. I'm like, what? And then I made a post on Facebook and like in that day, it sold and I had people text me and now we're at like, I don't know, 11 people on the wait list. It was, it went wild. So anyways, obviously those, uh, that headspace problem went away when it's like, okay, now we've got this long wait list and, uh, yeah, we got a lot of people now.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. Sweet. So since it's the topic, uh, this is from, uh, Derek in the, uh, a staple in the, uh, discord. Uh, since it's the topic, do you prefer go-wide type prize support structures for events? If so, what kind of extra awards besides placing? Uh, I can I can also add something to this before I toss it over to the actual TO. Uh, locally, what we do at our event um, is our at Hey Want to Play, which is the local game store down here in South Florida, probably the probably the biggest one um, with the inventory that really rivals a lot of GW stores, if not surpasses them. Um, huge gaming space too, can easily, can easily hold a large GT or a small major. Um, and then Chris, the owner and the TO also has contingency plans as place once his terrain kind of, uh, can support it to get to those higher numbers. He has contingency plans to open up additional like areas for like gaming and stuff like that. So he's already kind of like looking to an eye in the future. Um, but I really like what he does where he basically... He does the typical prize support where it's the top four sliding scale, um, and then it was it was pretty decent too. This last uh, this last event we had like forty five people. Fourth place got eighty five dollars um, store credit, and then like it like rocketed up from I there. See. I think that, yeah, I think like Mark like walked out of there with like two like two of the Space Marine like the the new like box sets that they'd released or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like so he was like walking out of those like that. Like it, it's a lot of prize support. Yeah. Um, but then he, they do a raffle ticket. It's very popular. We do it with the RTTs and the GTs and like tons of people like come like just for those. And people even joke around how like sometimes like they just people joke about like throwing their games just like to get into the raffle or yeah, something like that. that. Um, um, but yeah, no, they, they do a lot. And I mean, like I, I won a raffle once and like I got, I think my record for like most expensive kit was like a Forge Fiend or something like that. I got them from the raffle. Um, so like they, they. People like, oh, uh, this last GT. uh, One of our teammates, he got a he got a riptide in the raffle. So like, there's like, yeah, it's like some big prizes. Uh, But they give away a ticket for um, for submitting a list before deadline. Real low barrier, real low bar there. Some people still run into it.
2: Yeah, Um, but (laughs) if
0: you if you submit the list on time before cutoff, boom, you get a raffle ticket. Uh, And then every single loss, you get you get a raffle ticket. So in a five round event. Uh if you go if you just go zero and out, wooden spoon, you're gonna have uh you're gonna have six references I guess, you know, with like a pretty serious chance of uh, of getting it. Uh and then I think I think he also has like a two prize limit. So you can you're not one and done. You can you can get like two prizes. Mm-hmm. Um but that's been really good. I think that's also that just to the fact that the terrain has been good, that it's been timely. Uh he's there's been some growing pains, but he's people could tell that he's making an effort. Um and that's why the event and the store has been has been really been improving. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Uh,
2: yeah, I've had like a lot of talk to a lot of people about this to get their impressions, and um, some you know you get the you know people think you know the winners should have some sort of prize support, kind of reflective of the position that they've won. Other people like that just attending gives them some chance of getting prize because you know they're like we said most people going to event aren't going to win it. I, well, you know, only one of them is going to win it, right? But most people going to events don't regularly have the expectation of winning. So if it, the prize support only goes to the top players, they'll never actually get anything. So yep. I tried to cut a balance there. Um, I mean, luckily, like you said, you have good, uh, good support. Uh, this event has been a big of a community effort. And I'll, I'll say, for example, uh, early in the planning process, I got a message from somebody I had never met who uh, is a retired uh, military uh, like veteran and um, said like, yeah, I, you know, I live in a town not too far. And one of my hobbies is smithing. And he's like, do you want to give away a sword? I was like, "Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say yes, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But I'm like, I I was honest with him at the time. I was like, to be honest, like we've got like 20 people registered. I'm in the red right now. And unless this gets better, I can't pay you for it. So like I really appreciate that offer, but you know, I was like, no, no, no. Do you want to give away a sword? I was like, I mean, I will take this. Right? Don't be polite. I will anyway. So, uh, so yeah, he's for, he's Tim from Hammerstruck Smithing. So like he he's the one that gave the kopesh, and people have been talking about. It. So we had a kopesh smith for to give the winner. And on top of that, like we have uh, a good friend of mine, Dan. He runs the Red Dragon Ottawa. He's in the Discord. He's in the Stachek Discord. Uh, He's been buying up everybody's armies that they've been been selling in the barter town. Anyways, um, yeah, he's super amazing, like in terms of uh, providing prize support whatnot. So the way we've done it is, you know, I've had some kind of trophies 3D printed for number two and three. We've got the Kopesh number one. And then, like you said, those kind of whatever those holiday Space Marine style boxes for the first two winners and then a combat patrol for the third. Uh, I've also kind of over the years of winning and getting second or third place at GTS, I've collected a f- closet full of stuff that never gets touched. So a lot of that's coming out and will be given. So like I have a great unclean one. That's going to be just like kind of a random prize. Avadon is a random prize. The, I mean, obviously there's going to be very chaos focused because I'm a chaos player. Uh, you know, some other stuff. I have a funny um, prize for the person that, Gets the wooden spoon prize. So uh last two years ago, (laughs) my buddy Dan and I wanted to like, he was like, Hey, Conquest sounds awesome. Let's do Conquest. I'm like, Yeah, man, let's do it. So I bought an army, he bought an army, and he played a bit of it, and I like hadn't touched it all because like I can't do two games. So then my wife's been mentioning that for like years at this point. Like, what are you doing with those boxes? So now I'm like, you know what? In conquest, you actually have to roll low to succeed. So, like, hey. You know the person who loot like who's the worst in the event who like doesn't perform obviously it's dice obviously so we'll say well like here's a conquest army and you know that's where your skills will shine roll in rolling low in conquest <laughs> and so uh anyways it's just a it's just, it's just a joke obviously we don't want to encourage people to leave the community but it's just like you know it gives you something it's a it's a prize right that's great. those miniatures um, and, and, uh, are
1: also fantastic
2: like, oh yeah conquest I like just, legit if I had the time I play, I'd, I'd yeah. play that game. I play I can't just don't have the bandwidth I yeah. don't have the bandwidth yeah. to play. Same here I,
0: I would tell we played it by a time those, those measures look really good I've seen yeah. some people play at the, at the local store and yeah. uh they, they are really nice uh okay last question before and then we'll go into the uh comments I think I saw one of the questions in the comments uh this is from uh Sam Lemon from the Discord hey Nick can we expect to see you back on can have a podcast sometime in the future
2: um i think uh, i appreciate that thank you i think that right now i've been a little busy like doing other things like uh you know with the all is dust stuff we have other projects going on i know those guys have a kind of a different vision for where Canhammers going and they have a kind of like a, a real good focus so uh they're gonna do that i'm also like a bit camera shy at times so um anyways. Probably not, uh, but you know, like I'm in the, uh, I'm in the stat check discord. So uh, if anybody wants to hit me up and chat, whatever, uh, I'm more than happy, uh, more than happy to chat. Cool. And
0: then last uh, question uh, from the, uh, for the comments from Jared Whitehead, any tips for trying to build and unify a community of players from the local store to building something a bit larger across state. Uh, so for me locally, um once a few years after I would moved to Florida, um, when I took the job here uh, and I was settling down, and I was getting back into Warhammer after a 15 year hiatus. I was looking for local stores. Um, I basically was just, you know, initially just Google searching, trying to find like where the local stores were, where the playing was. Um, I just looked out that the, there was a little small store, small at the time called Hey Wanna Play. That was like under recently under, under new ownership, um, three minutes from my house. Um, so it just couldn't get better than that. And that was the, there was, there was one in Miami, there was one, uh, a little bit north of here, there was one, uh, in Palm beach, which is like an hour drive from me too far. And there was one three minutes of my house. And when I went, when I went in there, the, the, um, this store had the initial like friendly vibe. It was clean. Uh, the community, like immediately, like, you know, people over there playing, they introduced themselves. They were kind of like, they were so excited, talked about the game, introduced, you know, stuff like that. Um and I kind of slowly integrated myself, but just because of my because of my time, because of my shift work at the time, the really the only time I could regularly get games in was uh Tuesday evenings. And so I posted a message, you know, I said, Hey, is anyone wanna like, is anyone available Tuesday evening for a game? And my buddy uh now teammate on Miami Dice, uh Ben, he he said, Hey man, I'll be your Huckleberry. And then we just started kind of just meeting up every Tuesday. Uh, and then playing, and then you know we got a couple other people in the rotation, and then it ended up being like three or four of us. And then there was a bar next door, you know, so we'd all go out and have beers afterwards. You know, the store owner Chris, he would shut down, he'd have beers with us too, and so it just kind of became a thing where it was about a group of like five or six of us, and and then we'd play games, you know, until close, and then we'd go to the bar with the store owner and we talk forty k or just whatever kind of bullshit and have like two or three beers, and then we'd go home. It was great, and that kind of became our thing. And at, once that core got established, um, people just started coming like boss to a Flame and it just kind of snowballed from there. And now, even though I can't really make Tuesday Night Games anymore, um, and then also that, um, I, don't, I don't want to sound dismissive, but I don't generally show up to the store and just play pickup games with general population because I just don't want to blow people out. Um, it's not super helpful for me, and I don't think it's... Like particularly encouraging to the community even if like i preface like i'll i'll definitely like you know in the store discord you know people will, will always welcome to tag me if they want the smoke and be like hey you know, look for a competitive game stuff like that or whatever but generally our local competitive games we keep it in-house to miami dice because we know we know what's up and then outside of there i'm playing against people on tv usa or scrims or stuff like that but if anyone local ever wants like you know to get competitive game like I am available but I don't actually like I don't actively go out looking for pickup games uh, because my time is limited I'm only going to play other games um, yeah. and I don't want to blow people out that way but anyhow that's a little bit of a tangent uh, that kind of formed into Tuesday nights became uh, Warhammer 40k night Sundays kind of and apparently that happened that's that's happened with uh, multiple games in our store uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, happens on Wednesdays Sigmar Sundays, uh, Sunday afternoons, it's, it's all about Sigmar. Uh, Saturdays kind of has been the traditionally the 40K get, uh, day at the store, but basically Tuesday night kind of morphed into 40K night. And so even now, if you go to uh, Hey, Wanna Play, which is now a big store, if you go there on a Tuesday night, there's going to be anywhere from 10 to 20 people just playing games. And that's kind of cool because that started from me and this one guy just beating up regularly every Tuesday. Four or five years ago, and now it's just become like this thing. Uh, so I don't know if that's the way to build community, but that's certainly one way it's just consistency and being available, and definitely like a little bit of like field dreams. Like, if you build it, they will come, sort of thing. So, that was that was my experience with community building. What are you guys?
2: I mean, 100%. Uh... Yeah, it, it starts small, like anything, right? Um, you're not going to wake up one morning and you're going to have 50 people that are, you know, part of a, this large group running things and whatever else. It starts with a couple of you, uh, you and your friends or find a store and you just start a club and you advertise it. You'd be, you know, you'd be inclusive, you'd be open um, and whatnot. And uh, like, it'll grow organically if you're a good crew. Um and you know my experience if you're nice you know they will come that's a that's it's that simple it's just uh and i think in our local area one of the biggest community builders is like i said my uh, my friend dan he it's his stores are really now the focal point of uh 40k and competitive 40k in ottawa but because he's just that guy that's always thinking about how to uh make the make it more open for people like he even for example I won't go into all the detail uh, like you've already said Tim but he realized at one point that we had built such a strong competitive community that he was worried now that that was having the reverse effect where you know you're going to scare people away so he actually split events and he told a bunch of us we can't go to this one style RTT because that was and Jeremy would run them and that was the build RTT like these guys are going in there and they're like going there to learn, not get like face stomped by, you know, like dudes, you know, for three rounds because that's just what it was. Um, and they they would eventually just graduate then to the bigger RTT and then they were start stomping us. So it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know if there's one right way to do it, I think. Um, but the one way you you should approach it is like, like that, like being inclusive, uh, being there, being open. And I mean, it'll probably uh, go from there. Right. Yeah
1: we're starting a um we finally are starting a slow grow league at my flgs and we've had like 30 people have signed up in the last like three weeks they're super interested in it we're using like 500 1,000, 1500 to close it out and we're also using the crusade rules which is interesting but i think there is a level that shift from like standard standardized competitive play to crusade i think has drawn in a lot of people that otherwise would not have been interested uh, because they're viewing it as a less intense version of like match play gaming uh, even though we're still playing match play games so I think there's definitely an element of like lowering the barrier to entry is to the lowest point it can possibly be while still maintaining some semblance of like a gaming experience can help a lot to get get people in the door uh, and then once that's done doing a good job of uh a sort of like thoughtfully reigning in players that might otherwise push a little too quickly. Yeah. Um, because we did, we have already seen a few people where it's like, oh, cool. I need to have a conversation with the organizer. Like there are a few people here looking for something more intense. Like you should pair them into me and like, let's make sure that we don't get scare mm-hmm. off people that are admittedly a little bit anxious about coming out to the store for the first time. Yeah. It's uh, we've had
0: that same thing locally. Uh, we do, uh, from what I've seen, the store does um, pretty regularly. I think like it looks like every like two or three months they do like casual events, and like it'll literally be like one-sided kind of um, narrative, something like that where they will have like the forces of the pyramid versus forces of chaos, and so like anyone could show up and just like, and if you showed up late, like boom, like now you're reserves. So, just like here's your army, boom, just get in there, you know. And they'll have like they'll have like a castle on one side, and they'll have like kind of an open field on the other, and it's just you're literally just putting your stuff in there and you're just shooting stuff. Like someone showed up with like a 3d printed Titan that showed up, you know, like it was just like, uh, just all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and then we would also kind of have like, we have the, um, it's starting to get a little, a more, little more formal now, but we have the, we have like a, almost like a stratification kind mm. of going on. Um, we have like the actual, like true, like ultra casuals. And then we kind of have like the ones who are, looking for like more of like a balanced match play experience. They're not quite what you would call competitive, but they realize, you know, the, the community is getting a little bit more aware of like what's considered a good, good rule set and what isn't. And I think most people kind of like are starting to realize that GW doesn't really have a tight, the tightest of rule sets. So they are <laughs> looking for more like a match, match play experience, yeah. um, but they're still like very new um and our store owner is pretty good like intervening and like saying like oh you should pair with these guys you should pair with these guys or like coming at this time on this day that's when this group kind of like plays whatever uh and it's like we have like we have that group we have like the group of guys who are looking to get competitive um but they're still like you know they're still like green behind the ears you know like sometimes you'll you'll overhear them and they'll they're kind of like spouting their hot takes or stuff like that and you're kind of like. Um, But you just you just kind of like leave it alone, and then you have like the group who's like in there kind of like multiple times a week, and they're they're they are like newbie veterans, um, you know, and like they're starting to come to the point where they're starting to reach out to our local team, Miami Dice, and they're like they're they're kind of like asking some of us for games and stuff like that, and like you know we put them. We 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 descend from our little like competitive tower, you know. we we'll, like we'll like suplex them, but then afterwards like we'll break down the game and stuff like that. But they keep coming back. Like they don't they don't leave. They come back. You know. They they take that they go play amongst their group, and then finally we have Miami Dice, which is our local competitive team. Who is obviously like everyone there's for the most part pretty competitive. Um, but we don't. There's a little bit of a vibe check. You know, like there's no real. I don't want to say it's like a real organization, but like we don't. There's a few people that we were considering letting in, and then all of a sudden, like they like showed their ass at an event and stuff like that. We're like, ooh, Mm -hmm. like you can't. Sorry, man. Like we can't, we can't pull Mm -hmm. you in if you're gonna be like acting like that at an event. Like there's just no way. We we don't want a name associated with that kind of stuff. Uh, So it's kind of cool. It's like almost like a four or five level kind of stratification that we have going on locally in the community. I think it's, I think it's healthy to have that stratification where you're kind of like butting up to the level above and the level below you. But as soon as you start intermingling more than that it's like you're coming in like a little too hot and it can be like frustrating because like now you're not adjacent anymore and now two people show up to a game and like the expectations are different about like what they want out of a game or like how they feel about game design game philosophy like one person thinks it's a skill-based game other person thinks it's a dice-based game yeah. one person is literally just there trying to like test something and get better the other person is actively running from a bad experience which is like losing losing a game or feeling like they can't do anything um so that's uh, that's, that's, how our communities turned out exactly Yeah.
2: yeah it's kind of like having a fight club and you got your new guy that's you know trying to get into shape Not that you know into fighting and but then you bring him to the sparring class and he's pairing up your guy against your guy that's prepping for his UFC event. Like that's just kind of a complete mismatch right there in terms of they're both going to that club, they're both in the space enjoying the you know the club and stuff like that, but they're there for a bit different reasons. So at that point in time, they're you know you know, their interests aren't that compatible. So, you know, maybe later, but at that point in time, maybe they need to be doing something separate. Yeah. So that makes sense. Cool
0: uh cliff uh, that's all our questions man do we have anything else to the docket or you want to take this home
2: i think that's
1: it i think it's time to close out Thanks, thanks to y'all for hanging in there with us uh, it's been a long ride thanks to nick for hanging in there with us and uh one answering all the questions in such a lovely manner it's great being you at lvo uh, really excited for all his guests. really sad that i won't be able to be there but you know such is the family life uh it's gonna be a great event like it's gonna be awesome um
2: we're looking forward to it thank you the
1: standard places you can check us out. Again, you can hit us on uh, YouTube, which you're already watching us on youtube.com/slash/atstatcheck. Uh, stat-check.com is our home website. That's where you find all the uh, metadata dashboard, our player CRS and Elo scores. You know, the scores that actually indicate how good you are at 40k, uh, and not necessarily how many games you played at really big events. Uh, no shade intended. That's a lie, (laughs) it wasn't intended. Uh, And (laughs) patreon.com slash stat check, where you're gonna find us, uh, maybe we'll throw us a little bit of cash, join our Discord. Discord's a great community. It's like, you hear this a lot from 40K spots, right? Like, we built this great community, blah, 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 blah. Legitimately, our Discord is a really, really cool place. Um, People are really positive. There's a really, like, tons of excellent players there. Lots of great advice going around. Um, Random access to leagues. Uh, I'm randomly posting workouts for us to do regularly because as a means of getting myself in shape and getting everybody else in shape, it's just like cool stuff going on. So join us if you can, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Um, Let us know how this went. We'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks everybody. Thanks for having me guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Nick, thanks for being on the show and uh, to our viewers. Thank you guys. We love you and we'll see you in the discord. Bye Bye.
1: For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer
2: Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.